So what you're saying is before I report, I should disclose and then report the same day. <laughs> or no, the I next mean, day. Sorry, so it's one day. <laughs> sure, if you want to time it so that you, you get your own CVE, the CVE gets public, then you publish your own POC and yeah. you exploit it before everybody like... else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's a public exploit. But... It's going to be a busy couple days in that yeah. scenario. I just saw you get like prepped. You you like I, <laughs> at the countdown started. You backed up. You like hyped yourself up. <laughs> got a little stretch. Gotta get, get a little get a little litty. You know, dude. I'm getting myself ready for this one because this is gonna be this is gonna be a feisty one today. I'm gonna have to bring the feist to the show. Oh uh, boy! All right. Because we are representing. We got in in the left corner. We have Justin Gardner representing the hackers. On the right on the right corner, we have Joe Margolis representing the hackers. And the program managers. And the programs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, it should be a fun one, man. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, we're pretty tight. I, I you know, and, and so I just, it's going to feel good to like, just kind of rip you a new one in this debate, yeah. I think, you know? Okay. And just, I mean, just, listen, you know, so we'll see. I was looking through this doc and there was a lot of very feistily written points and I had some very feistily written <laughs> answers in my head. So <laughs> that's great. In true Joel fashion, uh, you've got the feistily written stuff in your head. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, all right, so whew, let's take let's take a little breath, <laughs> take a little breather, calm down. We got a news segment to hit before we yeah, get into yeah. the meat. Um, all right, so first up on the news. Well, first of all, we're kind of a little bit, little bit light on news this week. Um, I don't know if that's just because everyone like dumped all their stuff at oh defcon yeah i was gonna i actually haven't even asked you about defcon how was defcon yeah i mean defcon was pretty good i got covid so that, oh, that no. was the, the <laughs> less good side of it but uh yeah other yeah. than that it was, it was good it was fun it was great to see everybody good to hang out with people who sometimes i don't even get to see people like you know yeah. once a year so yeah it's it's always a nice time did you even did you go to defcon itself or just h1702 I, did, I didn't even step foot in the convention center. I didn't buy a badge. But, like, honestly, it doesn't seem like I missed out on much given what the badges were, <laughs> were this year. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, my personal opinion is that uh, most of the time the talks are all uploaded, uh, mm -hmm. except for I think a couple of the villages sometimes don't yeah. do it. There's, like, a whole thing with that. But mm -hmm. um, for the most part, pretty much every single talk is uploaded on YouTube. So if there's stuff that I didn't get to see, I can just go see it. Oftentimes the really good talks, I can I'll just hear what they are and I'll go look them yeah. up. Um, yeah. And like I said, all the people that I, I that I tend to see, I end up seeing outside of DefCon. Um, I really like going to DefCon to see the talks, but like mm. one of the disadvantages is that you can't see everything. So yeah. You know, I figured I'd save my money, enjoy Vegas a little bit, a little more chill, a little bit less. Save walking your around money and then enjoy Vegas. Sure. Yeah, save my like, money by how, it off. go to the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. tables yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Did you yeah. gamble at all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, all right, we're not. The, from the tone of that, yeah, I say we're not, not going to go down that path. All right. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't walk away a, a mega millionaire. I'll tell didn't you that. walk away with the job. <laughs> all right. Well, that's 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 part of the experience, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And and about the talks, you know, yeah, I kind of agree. I think there's something 
cool about being able to go in person, especially if it's your friends, you know, and support them and, and, um, you know, ask questions afterwards if you have yeah. questions, but yeah, most of the time on those talks, you're going to want to rewind and like take notes and like, you know, For dive sure. a little bit deeper. So it's nice that they put them up on, on, you know, YouTube a little bit yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. Actually Sweet, they're man. already up on Def, uh, on, uh, on the Defcon YouTube. So yeah. Yeah, they yeah, are. It's yeah, only so been a couple of weeks. Good. So if you want to go check out those talks, they're all available. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a long couple of weeks, man. You know, I, I realized we haven't actually had uh, a Justin and Joel episode since then. So yeah, that's, yeah. First that's you good. had COVID, then I had COVID. Yeah. I got a COVID family. on a cruise. That was, Oof. that was rough. Um, let's see here. All right. Well, let's, let's hit the news then. Um, first item up on the list I'll, I'll talk about was, uh, was Rezo. Uh, a loyal, a loyal follower of the podcast, bless his heart, True. True. Um, released something really cool called uh, Prompt Injection Primer for Engineers, and essentially it's a uh, it's a document outlining what kind of things you need to be worried about as an engineer from uh, with regards to prompt uh, prompt injection, and um, yeah, it, it, for, I know we have a lot of engineers listening to this to this pod, so I wanted to shout it out, and if any of you are working with um, AI related uh, tools and are are kind of a little bit worried about what prompt injection may as it is an unresolved bug. We still don't have a solution to prompt injection that's perfect. You know, it's not like just ex escaping our, you know, uh, double quotes and single quotes in SQL and stuff like that. It's it's unsolved problem. Um, I think Joseph does a good job here of um, breaking down what exactly the the attack vector is. He's got a little flow chart on whether you need to be worried about it or not. So I think this could make it a lot easier for people to understand what kind of impact this bug could have. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, I saw that he had posted on Twitter, and it seems mm -hmm. like a great resource to just sort of like put some stuff out in in mm -hmm. this space of security. Uh, it's such a new technology, and there's so many yeah. things that we haven't really figured out. Like you said, it's it's like an unresolved problem. So mm -hmm. I think it's great to have some awesome minds like Rezo, and I think mm -hmm. yourself as well, right? Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I may have seen it, you know, before it was released, you yeah, know. Yeah, so it's good to have the, these, these types of minds uh, already working on the problem, already putting out resources out there, helping companies yeah. get secure before they even know it, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so definitely check that out if you're if you're working with AI stuff at all. Pass it around to anybody who is working with AI because we all kind of saw what happened with Web three when everyone went crazy boom with Web three stuff. You know, everyone was developing; it was happening so fast. Volumes were flying all over the place. Money was flying out of wallets left and right. And so, um, luckily, AI is not directly linked to currency like like uh, like Web three was. But um, not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Not not yet. Uh, so we hopefully we won't have quite as severe of a fallout, but um, definitely something to check out if you're working with it. Yeah, um, yeah totally. All right. Did you um, did you see got. this thing from Portswigger? Ah, uh, yeah. Another XSS vector. Freaking love when Portswigger Research drops something. So they yeah. they dropped a um, I guess Chrome now supports the on scroll end sort of event handler. Yeah. Um, so this is a great way to get past those pesky wafts for, I don't know, hopefully a month or two uh, <laughs> until they update their word list or whatever. But um, yeah. it, it works on any element. So in, in the, the little tweet that we'll link in the description, they have it working on the XSS element, right? The little fake yep. XSS element. And if you combine this with the auto scroll to a specific element feature that they have in, in Chrome, if you put like the ID in the hashtag, in the hash fragment uh, up at the URL, then you can just just 
pop it without any interaction. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. This is one of those accounts. Um, you mentioned this way early in the pod and I followed mm-hmm. suit right after you did, but I have tweet notifications turn off reports Twitter research because yeah. it's just one of those accounts that is constantly pumping out really like immediately useful information mm-hmm. just like this, which is, you know, a screenshot and a link to their, their post about this specific vector and how you can use it. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. So, um, yeah, yeah, this is a super, super interesting, especially if XSSs are your bread and butter on scroll end. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. So XSS, that's that's that for XSS. The next thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, this talk that Gunnar Andrews, aka Golden Infosec, did at Recon Village. I saw this pop up on YouTube, and I know that he's been working... What the heck? My Google Home just started freaking out in front of me. Stop. <laughs> Unplug. Um, uh, maybe Gunner Andrews, does it activate my... Gunner, what did you do? Oh, no. Uh, does it activate my Google Home? No. You got you um, remotely. Yeah. No, I know he does some crazy recon stuff with regards to... Um, specifically with regards to serverless architecture. So I was really thrilled to see that Recon Village put up a talk by him. Um, just like Joe was talking about in the beginning of the episode... You know, you don't necessarily have to be at DEF CON to get all this wonderful information that they released. And uh, I watched through this talk and it's super awesome. And not not only does he come in, he's not like a serverless fanboy either. Like he comes in and he says like, hey, this is the these are the pros and cons of serverless. This is when you should use serverless. This is when you should just use a server, you know? Yeah. Um, and and uh, so he does a really good job of outlining what kind of tasks uh, work best uh, in in serverless architecture, um, and how to use that to power your bug bounty hunting uh, and your recon. Um, so definitely a hard recommend on that one. Yeah, I'm gonna I've got that on my list, and I'm gonna have to watch it after we we finish recording. Yeah, it's got I want to say how long is it? Forty minutes. Yeah. It, yeah, it, not bad. I put it on I put it on two X, and I was still getting the full the full value out of it. Um, so definitely definitely worth a listen. Awesome. All right, before we hop into the main content real mm. quick. Jason True. Haddix, former guest of the show. Um, Jay Haddix, Jason Haddix, whatever you want, you know him by. Uh, he is doing a course. It's the Bug Hunters uh, Methodology live training course. And he has very generously given us a invite code to give away. So one of our listeners uh, will be randomly selected to get a free access to his live bug hunters methodology $550 value. Yeah. I mean, huge value. So first of all, major shout out to, to Jason. Mm. Thank you. We, uh, we can't appreciate it enough. We're Mm. hoping that, uh, whichever viewer ends up winning this, uh, will get the most value out of it as possible. Give us your notes. (laughs) Give us your notes. Yeah. It's funny, actually funny story. So I I had talked to Jason about this and Jason's like, yeah, you know, I can, I can probably give you a a code to give away on the pod, you know, something like that. And so he messages me the, the link. And then he's like, oh, I should probably just message Joel the link as well. So he just like drops the discount code in Joel's DMs, right? And Joel's like, oh, heck yeah. Like, I can't wait to go to this course. Like, this is going to be awesome. And and, and I'm like, no, Joel, that's for for the listeners, okay? Like, I I saw it and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to claim that later. And then like a couple hours later, I was talking about it with Justin. And he was like, oh, no, we're going to give that away. I was like, okay, it looks like it's the same code. And then like within a few minutes i get a message from jason he's like by the way that's that's the giveaway on the podcast <laughs> I, yeah, was like, that's, I was like oh, the, okay. you can see the disappointment in joel's eyes like <laughs> yeah so so definitely oh, uh you're gonna want to 
enter to win this. Uh, we have a very yeah. easy way to entry. Just yeah. go to ctbb.show slash giveaway. And yeah. that's, you'll be taken somewhere, probably Google form. Haven't really figured it out yet, but somewhere. We'll put it on the new website potentially. Yeah. yeah, on our new website. Yeah, so ctbb.show slash giveaway. And that's how you can enter to win uh, a free entry to Jason Haddix's Bug Hunter methodology course. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking through this, this course, man. And I, I was reading through the description and it says explicitly, uh, so I think this matches well with the with the critical thinking audience. Unlike other courses, uh, TBHM Live is not an A to Z or beginners oriented course. And I'm looking through the the syllabus, and this is a lot of content that he's going to try to cover in two days. So I imagine he'll be moving pretty quickly. Um, looks like a very a very interesting course. So definitely check that out. Um, and like I sort of vaguely mentioned just a second ago and totally forgot to announce at the beginning, we have launched a new website for critical thinking. It is live. Um, it will have, uh, it's going to be a little bit better organized than our, our past website. So we've got each episodes popping up. We've got the video, we've got the audio, whichever your preferred medium is. We've also got transcripts, which is something a lot of you guys have been asking for, for a long time. Um, those will be attached to each podcast release. Um, I'm not sure that it'll be, It'll be on like the instant that the episode drops, but hopefully within the first couple hours of an episode dropping, we should have the transcript up there um, and ready for you guys to consume. So uh, there's also a contact form on the website that you can get in touch with us uh, via. So shoot any questions or concerns about that over there. Awesome. All right. Should we, uh, should we kick off the main, the main, the main dun, show? Dun, dun. I don't even, <laughs> the main, we... the main attraction. Let's see. All right. Richie, we're going to need you to, Richie's our editor. Richie, put in like some sort of, you know, dun, dun 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 or something like that here, some <laughs> epic start. Okay, wait, real quick, real quick. Okay, I do need right. to get some formalities out of the way. Okay. I do currently work at a tech company. I'm not even gonna name them. We're just gonna okay. keep it completely out of this. Um, mm -hmm. I do manage bug bounty programs there. However, everything that we're gonna say today has nothing to do with my employer, has nothing to do with my job, has nothing to do with my day-to-day. -day. Um, if anything remotely like sensitive or anything, we're gonna cut it out. So um, yeah, I just wanna clarify that like this is based on my experience mm. as a program manager and a bug bounty hunter. This is not reflective of my employer or my current work or anything like that. Okay. Nice. Fully just fully red tape out of the way. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Very nice. And you've you've had um, you know, you've managed other programs in the past before too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm happy so. to say that like I, you know, before yeah. my current role, I was at Uber. I managed yeah. I helped well, I didn't manage it, but I helped manage it uh, right. alongside the main manager. Um, mm. so yeah, I, I definitely have had my fingers in a lot of different programs from the program side for a many, many years now. So All right. All right. Disclaimers all over. Boxing, boxing gloves are on, Joel. Boxing, boxing gloves Let, off. On. Let's go. Wait, off. What the heck? Oh, wait. <laughs> this man's yeah, gonna like <laughs> knuckle to the face. Suit um, off. Boxing gloves right. on. So I'm going into my my state. I'm going into my hacker hacker <laughs> representation state, dude. What is up with the what is up with the zero day policy, man? Like, okay. if your scope is vulnerable and it's in scope. Why am I not getting paid for this awesome zero day that I found? Okay, so like for the record, <laughs> I, I think a lot of things we will probably like semi agree on, and probably. I think some of this should really be like sort of 
to the other program managers if your program is <laughs> to this. <laughs> you know, this is sort of my take that I think I need you to devil's advocate a little bit though. Okay. okay so Joel, like I know you're a sure. hacker and I know you're a good program manager, right? And so I realize, you know, we yeah. may agree on some things, but also I want to hear the other side okay. as well. You yeah, know? Yeah. So, 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 I'll, so I'll tell you sort of yeah. both aspects from it. So like, yeah. why, why, sh why shouldn't you get paid? I mean, there's, there's a couple reasons. I think the main reason is that there's nothing that can be done from the company side to fix this. And I think we discussed this a little bit when we talked with Shubs about sort of how to navigate that kind of communication when you're reporting a zero day vulnerability, especially if it's something mm -hmm. that you found uh, to a company and whether or not mm. they should be paying it. And a lot of it boils down to what is the company supposed to do? Because for one, it's nothing that their engineers cause. It's nothing that they accidentally added or, whoa, 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 or whoa, whoa, knew was whoa. there like this is just an artifact of the fact that they use a piece of software and that other company made a mistake well right? da, 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 da. okay their engineers did do something here because they put it they put a domain you know presumably they put a domain pointing to this asset you know i don't know if it's a cloud asset you know if it's a cloud asset then they just pointed their domain at it but you guys made the decision just like you would use you know to use open source software to run work with this provider and that has inherently put your users at risk sure yeah and so that's where i like i'll start to agree with you is that like there are certainly systemic steps that you can take from mm -hmm. uh company side to help stop these things and that generally involves like doing audits ahead of time with the company discussing what their current security team and current security practices look like how do they store data what are their password policies what is their internal security policy like there's a lot of things that you can do as sort of checks and balances to try and make sure that the company you're about to work mm -hmm. with and whose software about you're about to use will not compromise you but at the end of the day you like you didn't write the code you're you probably don't even have access to the source code and so depending on what it is, like there might not be much you can do. And yes, they, they, the engineers probably did create a DNS. Don't record. give me that shit, Joel. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they didn't do anything wrong from a security, <laughs> from, a, from a secure development standpoint. Okay. There's nothing that the engineer could have done differently that would have stopped them from being vulnerable. It was completely mm. out, outside of their control. Okay. No, okay. That's sort of true. That, that is true. And I, I see that point, but also, heck that and 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 i need the bounty right yeah. in, right now no right. yeah yeah sure so so like again i agree with you and i think this is sort of where like from a program management perspective where i draw the line is basically is there impact yes or no pay for mm -hmm. impact right yeah like yeah it doesn't necessarily matter if it's your fault it matters whether or not something can happen because of that vulnerability right yeah and so at all the end right, of the day, right. like you should be taking responsibility for the impact to your business, to your users, to your customers, whatever it is that like, if you're using a piece of software that makes you vulnerable, you should pay for that to some extent. Now, mm, mm. I think it's fair to not pay a full bounty because mm -hmm. there's a limited amount of things that you can do. I also think that there needs to be some sort of like you know how do i fix conversation this? Yeah, oh yeah. okay okay, okay. Well, sure, yeah, sure, sure sure but like how do i fix this right like okay you're reporting a zero day to me can i set up firewall rule up can i yeah i mean WAF? like what do i do to fix it what do you want me the company who uses this piece of software to do because 
if mm. it if the other company doesn't even know about it, the only thing that we can do yeah. is say, hey, by the way, there's a vuln in your software. You need to fix this. Okay, so I, I'm I'm uh, I got the little you know hyperbolized hacker out of my system a little bit there and the raging, but I, I'm gonna try to approach this from a from an intellectual perspective uh, as a as a hacker here. So my answer to that would be that. Um, you know, sure, you don't. You guys don't have access to the source, the vulnerable source code that's running on the target, right? Assuming it's a closed source, uh, you know, project or whatever. Um, and so, how do you remediate that situation? Totally fair question, I I think. And I, whenever I report these, I always try to include some sort of remediation step. May it be, um, you know, changing some configuration in the actual third-party app that you know you can find in the settings. But at the end of the day you can just stick a WAF in front of it or you can stay. I mean, how hard is it to like spin up an Nginx reverse proxy, right? And and like just block off a specific endpoint. Significantly like, easier said than done. I, I, I what? Promise. Are you serious? Because, yes, because, okay, here's the thing. In a perfect universe where every company is just like five engineers with an AWS box, <laughs> yeah, that works. You could just like spin up a service and be done with it. But in most modern tech companies, there's so much more process and procedure and like trying to fit into the existing technologies and they might not even use Nginx. Like there, there's so many other layers that don't just make it that easy where yes, that would be a super easy solution if it worked, but it's completely dependent on implementation and use case. Okay, but like almost every organization is using some sort of reverse proxy, right? Like, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Apache, Nginx, Trafic, or however you pronounce that thing. Yeah. Or, or have a WAF, right? Like, you know, and so just, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe this is my lack of enterprise experience coming into play, but, it, but if I were on a security team and I got a report of this and I, you know, there's an RCE on this box, you know, that you can only access through a certain point. I, I would want to be, you know, spinning up a, a, you know, AWS, you know, reverse proxy. What are they? I forget what they're called. Uh, but I mean, like you know, the thing is that, like, yeah, if it's that it right case, away. there, there's a few things that you can that you can do, right? If it's not something business critical, IP restrict it, take it offline, yeah, put it behind true. a firewall, mm -hmm. put it behind VPN. Like, yeah change the configuration there's usually like a handful of things that you can sort of generically do that will probably help if it's an actual zero day you know there's like very few things that the company can do outside of like preventative measures around mm -hmm. like preventing yeah, requests from even hitting the box it. right yeah so there's not much you can fix um i i see that you also mentioned one days in here honestly mm -hmm. my opinion is that if it's a one day like that's fair game if there's an mm. exploit out there publicly, especially, mm. and you have the software and it's publicly exposed, that is fair game. That so is what like... you're saying is before I report, I should disclose and then report the same day. <laughs> or no, the I next mean, day. Sorry, so it's one day. <laughs> sure, if you want to time it so that you, you get your own CVE, the CVE gets public, then you publish your own POC and yeah. you exploit it before everybody like... else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's a public exploit. But... It's going to be a... Gonna be a busy couple of days in that yeah. scenario. Yeah. Um. No. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And I. I do agree. If it. If it's got a public CVE, you know, then. You know, even if you're aware of it, I always add that. Um. Having to do less asset, um, you know, enumeration or checking of your assets to say like, hey, yeah, this is this bug is vulnerable to this. I think that adds value. 
Um, and so there's there's definitely some other areas where the bug bounty hunters add add value with their reports. And also, it's an easier yeah. sell to the people that need to fix it. Say, okay, yeah, sure, somebody posted this paper that affects our blah blah. But it, it's a different story when you can say, actually, a hacker shelled this box this morning and was right. in here and could have deleted the whole system. You know, I feel right. like that's an easier sell to your bureaucratic organization or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think like generally each of these topics probably has some sort of useful takeaway from a, from a program perspective. So like for this case, mm. like having better management and knowledge of your assets and what software is running on each asset, mm -hmm. that's probably a decent takeaway. If you're getting affected by zero-day reports and one-day reports a lot, like that should tell you that from a security program perspective, you need to be identifying what software is running on your boxes better mm -hmm. excuse me, in like yeah. a more efficient way and being able to update that stuff in a more efficient way and yeah hand in hand with that also knowing what vulnerabilities are in the pipeline that are affecting your software so that you can fix it asap yeah no that totally makes sense mariah's texting me something let me just let me just send her this okay all right yeah and and, and i think i think um yeah I, I think that that piece about patch management is very important you know and and oftentimes people I guess maybe I shouldn't say oftentimes, but I've seen several times when people have started bug bounty programs and they don't have a solid patch management platform out. And I just can think of this one time with my automation where like every week I was getting this ping, this is vulnerable, this is vulnerable, this is vulnerable, this is vulnerable. And they didn't patch the CVE, this critical CVE that leaked AWS creds, right? Yeah. For over a year. And I'm like, right. what are you doing? Um, so anyway, so all right. You know, now I got to get. What are you doing? Uh, we'll get to that shortly because. Okay, we'll we'll get to that. Don't. I know that's in there. <laughs> that's not. That's not the next question. The next question is. Um, okay, so let's talk about a little bit about disclosure. Okay. Sure. Um, I have done some research. I've found a vulnerability. I report it to you because I want to give you a heads up, uh, but I also want to be able to disclose this. But I would also like to be paid for my research. Why? Why not? Why? Like <laughs> you know, a lot of programs add do not disclose policies. What's up with that, homeboy? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, <laughs> the reality is that a lot of this boils down to the fact that a lot of programs have a legal and comms team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or both, a legal teams and a comms team, and mm -hmm. oftentimes security vulnerabilities are viewed positively by the security community negatively by everybody else mm. right mm. and so if you think mm. about it it's like yeah that's interesting the company doesn't really want to brag that they had a security vulnerability right sure. the incentive there is good for the security team to be like look our bug bounty program's working great mm -hmm. terrible from a, a comms and publicity perspective around like oh customer data could have been at risk or whatever right like i think that is always the challenge and some companies are very good about owning security and being like we don't give a shit we're going to be public about everything and mm. like if we have a security vulnerability that's great we don't care we'd rather be public about it and it doesn't really matter um i think a lot of companies get really scared about that and rightfully so because there's been plenty of outrage for various tech companies uber for example around mm. security vulnerabilities and how it was handled and how it was announced or not announced and all that kind of yeah. stuff can take the um, stock price and all that sort of thing right and so like i think that is a real risk there now 
the the other side is like okay i want to get paid great report it to the bug bounty program i want to disclose it well <laughs> that's up to the program um I, I see a lot of researchers who will report stuff and then get frustrated when they aren't allowed to disclose or they you know disclose anyways or or whatever like here's the reality of it when you submit a bug through a bug bounty program you agree to the bug bounty program terms and policy that states that you can't disclose stuff without the permission of the program Mm -hmm. If you disclose stuff without the permission of the program, you are violating the program terms. Yeah. Which number number one often excludes you from safe harbor protections, and number two Rip. sets you up for a platform ban, or at least some sort of a suspension or, or or repercussion. Right. Yeah. And so, that's not to say that you can't report stuff without being able to disclose it. You can always like email security at and mm -hmm. you know reach out to them directly, not going through the bug bounty program. You, that mm -hmm. you're not agreeing to their program terms if you're not going through the through the bug bounty program. I wonder I wonder if you could submit directly to the bug bounty program but still but like explicitly state in the report that I decline the terms and agreements to this. Uh and, and say like I, I I you know I intend to disclose this bug but I'm also giving you a heads up. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean maybe I think that would be a little more nuanced because there's probably yeah. some stuff in the hacker one terms of service that says right like you know whatever but it's definitely a way to set set you up for platform problems for sure yeah like here's i just wouldn't recommend it and like yeah the, the other aspect of it is if you really want to want to disclose something and the company really doesn't you're gonna set yourself up for a rocky relationship with that company in that right. program every day after that because yeah if you decide to go ahead and disclose and they don't want to do it, they are really not going to want to work with you in the future. Right. So if you find something like, you know, some, some other like really bad phone and you want to report it to them or you want to like, you know, get a bounty or something, how is that company supposed to feel when they've got this researcher who's like been super aggressive with them in the past? about disclosures and now coming to them with another vulnerability yeah like yeah. are they gonna fix it yeah probably it doesn't feel safe gonna want to like you know it, it it really sets a bad precedent i think for that type of for the type of relationship that you want to have with the program which is like mm. an amicable working relationship where mm. you can professional secure, yeah. yeah you can secure things together and both be like happy and positive about it not be like i want to disclose this you can't disclose it or i'm mad about that like right you know like at the end of the day, that's part of what that's part of the bargain, right? Part of the bargain yeah. is that you get paid. So, but that feels a little dirty, like, right? Like that feels a little bit dirty if you say like if you say it like that because you said that's part of the bargain and it is part of the bargain and you're totally right in representing it that way. But essentially, what you just said is we're paying you to keep your mouth shut, which is like really sketchy and not the way that I I I really want to see bug bounties. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't want to get too reductive here because I think that yeah. you could frame a lot of things that way, but especially, like, yeah. any private program, you could phrase it that way. And yeah. that, like, you're, oh, you don't have a public program, so, like, uh, why, you know, I, I don't know. Or, like, oh, yeah. things are out but of scope. Like, if it's out of scope, then, like, you know, you're basically just, like, telling me not to look at something that's vulnerable. or whatever. Like, I think there's a lot of re reductive ways that you could take that same kind yeah, of that's stance. that's yeah. And while I while I see it, I think that it's a little more nuanced than that. Mm. Like 
bug bounty programs are not just designed to pay a researcher. They're designed to set a neutral environment in place so that researchers can communicate things safely with the program and the mm-hmm. program can communicate things safely with the researcher, right. fix it, not worry about <clears throat> like the researcher leaking their payload or telling other mm-hmm. people about it and sure. all this other kind of stuff. And in return, the researcher gets paid for that, you know, for not telling other people about it, well, for reporting it, it directly, for, reporting for not the bug in general, it. Like, right? That's kind of where I was thinking, you know, with, with this is like the incentive, the keeping your mouth shut piece is a little bit more of a, of a, um, of a addendum to the whole situation. The, the, the motivating factor for a bug bounty program is these, uh, you know, researchers have done high quality security research and deserve to be rewarded for that and to be, to be compensated for that. And so, um, I think that's the primary, you know, services exchange, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. However, part of high quality security research, in my opinion, involves how, the delivery is handled. Mm. And so you can't just do high quality research and then start making demands about what you should be paid and how it should be yeah, handled that's a good and how point. fast it should be fixed and all this kind of stuff. That's right? a good point. Like again, you're participating in the bug bounty program. If you yeah, want to send stuff I... that's to security at and yeah. you want to strong arm the program, you can by all means go ahead and try that. And they may or may not respond, but they also may or may not respond in a very nice way. Sure. I'm I'm uh you know to all you hackers out there i'm trying he's just doing good you know like like, like i I've, i'm trying to give him a piece of our mind here but no these these are very reasonable answers you're 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 coming across with joel so um i kind of put put you on the spot this episode and it's i will totally continue fine. to put you on the spot but that's fine uh, listen these are a lot of things that i used to feel as a hacker myself yeah, i yeah. still understand where a lot of hackers are coming from with these things mm. but having worked on the other side it the answers and the reasons behind stuff are so much more nuanced i think it's important that people understand it yeah yeah me too um with that being said let's talk about the shittiest <laughs> piece of bug bounties which is dupes and particularly internal dupes. What the heck, dude? Like, what? So, okay, hold on. I am going to rant a little bit about this, okay? So, if you've got an internal dupe and it, you have not, you know, resolved this thing, right? And, and it's within a longer time frame than one would expect, you know, a couple months for, you know, maybe even a high or a medium or like a couple weeks for, for a crit, like, Okay, that that seems like something that you need to still pay the researcher for because you're sitting on that bug, and like I, I have put in high quality. This I'm sorry, you can tell it's a little bit a little bit fresh, okay. Um, but you know I put in this high quality research. You've known about this issue for a while. My time just went down the drain and is still violated. And and it's you know our, our sort of agreement that we have in place of I provide you with high quality security research and you pay me for that. And when no other hacker had reported it, this is an internal dupe either discovered from code review or maybe like an internal pen test or something like that, just feels like crap. And how can we get accountability for that as as a hacker? How can we understand when truly this is an internal dupe or whether you know we're getting screwed out of our bounty? Yeah. So there's a lot of nuance and angles to this. I think what I'll start with is that I'll address that last part first, which is how can I be sure that this really is an internal dupe? The uh, main thing I would say is where's the incentive for the program to lie to you in the long term? Mm 
yeah, money. But I'm, I'm, I'm. For yeah, those of you uh, that are actually li- listening to the <laughs> podcast, I'm listening, rubbing my fingers together. While I'm taking a sip of water. Yes. Now, yes, money. However, reputation, right? And I think reputation, it, from the bro- program perspective, whether or not programs actually view it this way, but the reality is that your reputation is significantly easier to damage than it is to like spend money, right? And so, mm. like, you're going to damage your reputation significantly more. With the hackers? Yeah, by, like, you know, either lie. Like, if you lie to a, ha- to a hacker and say, oh, this is an mm. internal dupe, and it's not, instead of just paying for something, the damage to your reputation, if that comes out or whatever, is so much worse than whatever you paid for that bounty. Yeah, like, no one's ever going to touch just, that program yeah, with a right. 10-foot pole. Exactly, right. And so, like, the, the incentive for a program to lie like that is just, like, you know you have to think about it like why would somebody do that and it's not that it doesn't happen but i think that there's not a great incentive to start with for like why would that like what is the reason for like some random employee who's running this program to like come sign on and be like "Mm, i don't want to pay for this i'm going to tell them that it's not like it's their money anyway right like it's not like it's the the employee's money like it's not coming out of their salary right Uh, you know i mean we can get into that in the it wasn't in the budget part, but there would be I mean, no KPIs associated with how much money this bug bounty program is is paying or isn't I, paying. Would there? I pro budgets are very very complicated. Ooh, <laughs> budgets are very you complicated found the spot. things. <laughs> yeah, budgets right. are very very complicated things. Uh, the way that budgets at companies, especially the larger the company uh the more confusing and weird it gets around Mm -hmm. who gets what money for what thing how does that process get approved uh how do you get more money uh how do you get more money next year like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different aspects to budgets and that that kind of stuff and you have to remember that bug bounty at the end of the day when they make a payment that comes out of a budget that has been set aside probably at the beginning of the year for bug bounty and that pool is all they have to work with and so if they run out of money that's a problem and if they have too much money that's also a problem mm-hmm. so we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit into, we are into jumping ahead here. but so, I, I wanted to try to corner you with that but somehow you used <laughs> your way out of it that, that's so, okay yeah, let, let, let's just say, take it back for a second so like the main thing is that i personally don't think that many programs really have much to gain by lying to a hacker Especially sure. like it's a bug bounty program. Like, what yeah. what is your the point if you're lying to the main like thing that matters to you, right? Like, you might as well just not have a program. Um, that's my personal take. I don't know if that's how most programs are. I sure hope that they don't lie to the hackers, but you never know. Um, yeah. Okay. Separate from that is how how do you not get your time wasted, right? I think that is really, really difficult. Wow, I forgot I, I asked that question. <laughs> like, Joel's got like a, like, okay, all right, I see it. You're on it today. Yeah, uh, I think like, so this risk is always there, right? Like if you take internal dupe, if you just take the word internal out of it and leave dupe, like that's always been a risk, right? Mm-hmm. The risk has always been there that a researcher could have reported it and you find it tomorrow and you dupe. And your time is wasted. Maybe you spent two weeks and you reported it. You said, I'll report it tomorrow. And you get dupes. Okay. Mm. That risk is always there. The fact that it's found by a not a security researcher, but maybe a security engineer instead, 
is very little change in that situation. Now, I think that a lot of programs could do a better job at documenting that and integrating it into their program. And what mm -hmm. do I mean by that? I mean, if you have a security vulnerability on a public facing endpoint, you could create a ticket on your bug bounty program, an internal, like, you know, close it as informative or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, there are ways to handle that, but, or import it. And if you need to reference it from like a public report that later comes in, you have an actual report ID that you can reference. With a timestamp and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think that you can do that's probably honestly easier is just be transparent. And this, I think, goes a long way in a lot of different areas, but I'll talk about it right now, which is that you should be defaulting to transparency with the researcher. Number mm. one, oftentimes they're bound by an NDA. Number two, they're bound by your program terms. Number three, mm. they're bound by a privacy policy on HackerOne. Like, there are a lot of aspects where you can have some level of comfort with the researcher and just be transparent with them about what's going on. And that applies in a lot of different aspects. For this aspect, that applies in that if there's an internal dupe, take a screenshot of the internal ticket and right. send it to them. You don't have to include all the information. You, you can redact stuff, but just like yeah. show them that it's real. Like if that's what, like show them that it's a thing and that they missed it by three weeks or whatever. And I also think to that point, right? That, as you mentioned, like what happens if it opened for a year or whatever, right? There should be, Programs should be taking accountability for that, okay? Like, mm, yeah, I don't think I totally it's acceptable agree. if you have a high or a critical, especially severity vulnerability that is open for a long period of time, that means your security team is not doing their job. They should right. be getting this fixed. They should. This should be a priority for them. It should be a priority for the engineers. I understand that there's lots of work culture and all sorts of other things that can play into that relationship between security and engineering. It does not matter. If you're going to have a bug bounty program, that means you have to take security seriously. You Preach. have to fix your stuff in a reasonable period of time, or you have to explain that to your researchers and say, sorry, I know this has been open for a year, but it's still not fixed yet. And mm. then you have to be willing to, to, to own that and, and, and answer as to why not. Right. Mm. And I, I think that's just a reality that a lot of, of programs like don't want to accept is that like sometimes stuff that should be high priority isn't prioritized and mm. you know, that, that sucks. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I agree with you and I'll also take like a, a program at, at, like advocate side here, which is that like, Internal dupes are real. <laughs> they do happen. However, programs can be a lot better about being transparent. They can provide more information about the dupe itself, show that it's you know, open, that it's being worked on, whatever. And if stuff is open for too long, you have to take security seriously and realize that a real attacker would go and exploit that if you had that open for a year. And yeah, there's no excuse for it to not be fixed. Whew. Amen, brother. I, I, I hope that... The work of the Lord is being done here. <laughs> dude, that was that was um that was fire, dude. Not good good shit. Okay. Um was supposed to disagree with you and debate that at all, but to be honest, it was pretty on fleek. And I, I really appreciated the the point, you know, about them taking responsibility for and I think that's a little bit what we want with the transparency, right? Like if we can get a ticket showing, hey, uh, you missed it by two days, then that's like, well, drat. You know, like I still hate that for me, but uh, you know, it's not the end of the world, right? But if I see a ticket that says that this 
you know, problem has been around for six months or something, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little bit, a little bit salty. Right. Yeah. And so when, when they don't, when they just say, Hey, sorry, internal dupe, boop, boop, you know, then that, that makes me feel a little bit like they're trying to hide something and that this bug has been around for a while. And this program is just a, you know, pilot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and like, not goodness. <laughs> you just have to remember that like every company is different. The amount of resources yeah. that they have, both on the engineering side and the security side, are different per company. And so, there's this thing called SLAs. I'm not going to explain it. I feel like you can look up what an SLA is. It's a mm -hmm. Service level agreement. Okay, it basically just means you have this much time to fix this thing or deal with this thing. Right? Mm -hmm. That's like time to first response, all that kind of stuff. Right. Those are SLAs. Okay. Every company has different SLAs for tickets and especially security tickets some don't even have slas clearly defined for security tickets and so if something's been open for Oof. six months that could be the normal for the company okay and if that's the normal there's really not much that's you can do as a researcher good. about that no it's not good but you can't be like ah fix this faster because do you do you own that company are you a c-level yeah. on there like, no, that, that's you, true yeah. you know the security one the security team only has so much leverage and two like you're asking for large structural changes to how stuff gets done and yeah. yeah it would be correct and better and awesome to see it get fixed faster but if that's not how they prioritize security and engineering then that's not how they prioritize security and engineering that's yeah that is what it is and i feel like some of this is also a little bit on the platforms because like you whenever you as a platform when you bring somebody on for a bug bounty program you have two customers you have the the company and you have the hacker right and if you're going to bring on a a client right a a customer a uh, a company and then they're going to provide really poor service to your other client that's not good so I, I think there needs to be some auditing in place, and I'm sure there is at some levels in some organizations, but I, I think there really needs to be some sort of standard uh, SLA assurance or something like that, where HackerOne or BugCrowd or Integrity says, uh, yes, uh, bugs, even if they don't always hit it, they should be shooting for bugs to be fixed in a certain amount of time, right? And you sort of see that on the program policies, but um, those numbers are very, very... Uh, uh, you know, I, I can't come up with the word and the Japanese word just keeps on coming into my head. But they're, they're very like not specific and not sh stuck to, you yeah. know? And, and, and so I, I would like to see a little bit more adherence around that because that's very important to the hackers. Yeah, I, I'd say like around around that, it's very difficult because... Um, it fluctuates too. Yeah, I mean, the reality is that HackerOne is a vendor mm -hmm. for a company. Right. From a company perspective, HackerOne is a vendor. You're paying HackerOne for their product, mm. HackerOne.com, or, you know, whatever, generic. But or BugCrowder. We're, we're just yeah. going to use HackerOne in, in place here. Yeah. Right? You're paying to use that platform. And in return, you get access to the inbox and maybe you get access to triage services. Mm -hmm. right? And the reality is that they, you're not paying them for advice on how to run your security program. Okay, that that's a problem though. I think if that if that's the if that is the case, is that truly the case? I mean, there that's not what you're paying for them. You know, you're not paying them to tell you how to run your your like they can give you advice, but it would be unsolicited, right? And so that it like <sighs> I think it would be better if they were able to like meaningfully give advice to companies. But I think 
it's not really their place to be doing that because that's not what they're being paid for. And so not only is it an overstep of their services, but it's like not really their concern. Like their concern is to provide an excellent bug bounty platform that helps the company communicate with researchers and receive vulnerabilities and all that yeah, kind but of stuff. You, yeah, but you can't provide an excellent bug bounty platform without a t it being a two-way street, right? So if you're not ensuring that the program is providing a quality experience to the hackers, then you can't... You, then the platform is going down. Sure. Right. But again, what like what is, what is HackerOne going to do? Say like, oh, in order to sign this contract, you have to provide us that, uh, you know, you, you're going to adjust your security SLAs and do all the, like these things would be uh, yeah. blockers that, <laughs> that'd be okay, great. Well, they, I mean, they would just lose business, right? <laughs> that's true. I, that's, that's and the it's reality. a company, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The company will be like, okay, we're just going to go to BugCrowd who doesn't require that. Right? Yeah. Or like yeah. whatever, right? Like uh, the reality is that I think that would be too much of a blocker when the goal is to just get companies to adopt security more by having a bug mm. bounty program and having a way to receive vulnerability reports and it, to make it a requirement that they have to like vamp up and buff their whole mm. security program in order to receive reports that's really difficult that's a really hard sell yeah i, I don't know man i i would like to see that sell and maybe maybe this is a maybe something that hacker one or bug crowder integrity could could run with and say like these are hacker one vetted programs or something like that where you know and they have some sort of extra symbol you know sort of like they have for some of the other uh things that i'm not even sure i can mention exist in hacker one uh yeah, I like mean, for the I private programs this. you know i, I actually yeah. had a discussion with them not related to work uh at, at, from like a hacker side yeah I, I was asked as a hacker to go speak whoa whoa, whoa joel you're not a hacker team. today <laughs> You're, I'm sorry. Continue. Continue. But like one of the things that they, that I suggested was like, if you have some knowledge about the tech stack that's being used, why not provide security recommendations for that tech stack, right? If you mm. know about stuff or you know about trends, like that's an easy win for your customer to like give them extra value for the for the product, right? and maybe you later mm. turn that into an extra paid feature. I don't know. I don't sure. care. But like, I think that there are certainly things that they could do there. That's not quite going as far as saying, here's what you should have for your SLAs and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think that mm. is, I mean. That's a very, that's a very intense decision as well. I, I, I acknowledge in, in, to, in order to hit those SLAs, you may even have to bring on additional developers, right? Which right. is a, you yeah, know, six so many figure more, a year at least yeah. just decision, you know? And so there, there are, is a lot of nuance to that. And I guess I can argue for the ideal from the side as the hacker, but um, I just feel like a bug bounty program is a more mature security decision, you know? And in a VDP, everyone should have a VDP. You can be throwing VDPs out left and right. But I think yeah, a bug I bounty mean, program is a little yeah. bit, it is a little bit more of a mature um, security program decision. And by that point, you should have a grip on this. Yes, I totally agree. I think HackerOne would uh, enthusiastically disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just based on the fact that it's their their oh, whole man. business to well, create and start more programs. That's why, that's why yeah. we can say whatever the heck we want on Critical Thinking. <laughs> yes. um, that's good. All right. Yeah. Um, so, all right, I have CVSS as the next topic. Little bit of a loaded topic. Um, mm, what do you think? Skip it and move on to budget, or do we want to 
Sure. Would I you mean, like me can, to yell at you a little bit directly. here? I, I mean, sure. Like, uh, here's right. my take. Here, maybe I'll give you well, my no, take. No, 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 no. So, okay, well, okay. Uh, that's true. All right, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I've been asking okay. the questions this whole time. Give me your take. I don't think CBSS is very useful. That's it. <laughs> like, okay, it, it 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 is a factor that you can consider. I don't think it should be the only factor you consider, mm -hmm. and I don't mm -hmm. think it's a perfect system. I don't think any system like this. Whether you want to be VISS, whether you want to be mm -hmm. CBSS, whether you want to be ABCD, I don't Please give don't e okay, a good. flying, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't I, care. <laughs> like, okay. fill in the blank, right? Like, all of these systems are trying to solve a problem that is incredibly difficult to solve, which is that mm. you're trying to take a case-by-case -case scenario that is truly impact-dependent and generify it into a set of factors that you can apply globally. And that just doesn't really work. Um, I, we've had some really interesting discussions, me and you, uh, mm -hmm. with yeah. programs about this. And it, like from a optimization perspective, every program wants this because it makes payouts easier. It makes payouts more consistent. It makes processing bugs and streamlines everything. It streamlines everything. Yeah. Okay. That's great. However, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> like, like you can't just say like, Oh, if it checks these boxes, then it is this bounty or it is this bad because some cases, yes, you can do that. Many cases you cannot. Okay. Um, so, okay. So lots of, yeah. lots of, uh, Lots to unpack there. Lots of uh, you know coming up with a problem and not coming up with a solution, and and um, I'm actually going to take a little bit of a controversial position here that I am slightly, slightly truly believing, um, which is that CVSS is like so the programs that really stick to CVSS, they it works well. You know, like like if you look at at um, uh, Shopify and you look at um, uh, PayPal and some of the other ones that really stick to it like glue, I think that rarely are the, and maybe it's just because those programs have really good bounties, which is also another another thing, right? Those programs pay very high bounties. So, you know, you could get your bug rated at a medium 6.8 and still be walking out there with, you know, well into the four figures, you know, sure. um, range. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think, there doesn't necessarily have to be a, a a system that makes it all all streamlined and stuff, but having some sort of baseline for an attacker to know, and maybe this is just a a piece in your policy where it's like, hey, we really prioritize user data, and if you can get access to user data, we are very very interested in that. Or we don't really care as much about user data as we care about like you getting access to our source code. And if you can get access to our source code, you know, very bad. Um, that sort of direction is really helpful for me in understanding the threat model of a company. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. Like, mm -hmm. again, I, I, generally I err towards trying to pay, like, I think programs should be paying by impact. I, mm. Like, I think that impact is really what matters. It's not about, like, I got an XSS. That's great. What can you do with it? Like, can you steal my data? Can you take over my account? Can you only pop an alert like what right. what is the actual impact of this because if it's nothing then wh what why am i paying you know a flat bounty for this or why am i paying what i paid for the last xss that could do an account takeover on this xss which can do nothing right right and i think that type of information is really important and what you said about like 
if you really stick to CVSS, then it works well. I think it works well in the sense that you have a consistent program, right? So what that means is that one, your process is streamlined and two, your process is consistent. So an XSS is going to grade the same, is going to pay the same all the time. And if that's how you want to handle your security program and you say, we've got this much money for bug bounty and we're just going to, you know, we, we're going to pay 5k for every XSS. We're going to pay 2k for every subdomain takeover. That's fine. But you have to like budget and account for that and just be willing to, regardless of the impact, you have to be willing to press that button and pay the bounty at mm. the amount, right? Yeah. And a well, lot of programs, I think, don't look at it that way, mm. which is fair. Like, I, I don't look at it that way. Like, we don't use CVSS, and I don't think CVSS is a great solution because mm. of what I said. Like, there's so much nuance in impact. And so yeah. what you pointed out about, like, what does the program care about? This is something that I see almost no programs do well. Um, and, and like, this is something that I think should be addressed from a, probably from a platform perspective as well, but there needs to be a better way for programs to explain to researchers what their security threat model looks like. And what that means is as a security team, when you report a bug to me, how do I think about it? What are the things that I'm looking for? Mm. How am I grading the impact? Amen. Right? And so, there's not a great way to communicate that from the program side to the ha to the researcher side. And mm. especially for programs that don't use CVSS, there's like basically zero guidance, right? And so those yeah. are the programs where you submit something and you're like, this is a crit for sure. And then they regrade it to a medium. Low. And yeah. like, you know, you're like, whoa, what just happened, right? And oftentimes it may be one of, you know, the early reports to that program that you've, you know, you're still trying to feel it out. And that takes literal like multiple reports to start to feel out manually what does the program care about how do they respond to this type of stuff like do they care about this do they not care about this like understanding that stuff in a trial and error method really sucks from a researcher perspective mm. and so i think programs could definitely do a better job in saying we care about user data specifically even maybe we care about these user data fields now that <laughs> that second question right there you'll have programs who will immediately say no to that just because of legal and comms. Like they don't want to point out explicitly. They don't want to put targets yeah. on exactly. specific stuff. Yeah. Right. And so like, I get that, but like, that's fine. Like you don't have to go that far. Just say like, we care about user data and we would care if you can do, you know, X, Y, and Z. The other side that I see, by the way, is like way too extreme in terms of examples where, uh, like I've seen a crypto program, for example, where they, will say that we consider it a crit if, and then they have four bullet points with very specific scenarios laid out of like, like detailed, like, oh, you can execute like X, Y, and Z through like a specific, I'm like, right. This function what? ever returns a negative number, then yeah, we're, like, we're screwed, you know? Like, well, I'm just going to go test this one specific use case that I right. know your security team already knows is a vulnerable, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like that's not helpful either. So I think yeah. like being more generic about like the things that you care about, not the specific scenarios that you care about um, mm. would definitely help. And for then sure. somehow figuring out, I, I don't have a great solution for this either, but somehow figuring out some way to explain like the way that your security team is thinking about bugs mm. when they come in. Um, whether that be, well, dang, you know, is it on the main domain? Is, uh, does it have access to cookies? Yeah. Can it talk with the main domain? Uh, are there ever cookies scoped to it? Like some of these things you can figure out as a re researcher, some of these things the program needs to provide. 
dude, like that was great. And I, I think we need to start a critical thinking bug bounty program consultancy <laughs> based off of that, this conversation, because there's a lot of high quality stuff in there. And I think a lot of lessons you've learned as, as being on the program side and on the hacker side in extreme ways on both, right? Managing some of the biggest bug bounty programs and also, um, or contributing to some of the biggest bug bounty programs and also hacking on, you know, the live hacking events in the, you know, cream of the crop scene there. Um, so that's, that's really cool. And I, and I, I think, I think CVSS, um, definitely has its flaws, but for me, that consistency that you mentioned, that's kind of what I want to see, because if, if I can, if I can see the consistency, if I know what the system is, then I can work within the system, right? That's our whole, that's our whole thing as hackers is working within the system and, and making our goals get accomplished. Right. And we talked about this a little bit with, with Inti, but like, the ethical boundaries of sort of gaming the vulnerability, um, you know, rating system. Um, but if at the end of the day, it reflects it truly, if the securities team's um, priorities are truly aligned with their vulnerability rating system, then it should be a dub for all players. Yeah. And like, I, I'm definitely winging this take right here, which is mm. that I think CBSS isn't the worst place to like start. And what I mean mm. by that is like calculate the CBSS. And then if that doesn't line up, with your security team's threat model, try to figure out why. Mm -hmm. And those are probably your mitigating factors, Mm. right? And what Mm. I mean by that is like, okay, if something's a crit, but it's actually a medium because blank, well, that's why, Mm -hmm. right? CBSS can't really account for that easily, right? Yeah, maybe it's like attack complexity high or something, but like, it's, you know, it's not, right? Like, again, like if you have an XSS that can do nothing, versus an XSS that can do an account takeover. Those are two very, very different things. And attack complexity or privileges required or whatever, like those don't really account for what's probably causing that change in severity, right? And so I think, again, being transparent with the researcher, describing what has changed that has caused it to not be a critical, but to be actually a medium or whatever, is really, really important from the program perspective and to help build those relationships that lead to fruitful security researcher re- yeah. research from your hacker base right yeah yeah good stuff man um whew, we are an hour and one minute in i've i've had a little bit of a draining day so that steam that steam that was you know coming out earlier is, i'm is, still going just yeah just, like, re- just read them got as it. you wrote them all right, and, and, yeah all right well okay i'll just read them as i wrote them um let me just hit you with this one big boy um, right. <laughs> regarding bounty payments and budgets it's not your money so why are you so freaking stingy with it yeah okay so as i mentioned bounties are or, sorry budgets are very <laughs> complex topics okay um i let's see how generically i can talk about this uh, essentially you have to imagine a, a budget for a company as a giant pool of money that starts from the very very top of that company and Every single layer of management you go down, you chop another piece off. Okay. <laughs> and so, Sorry, as soon as he said giant pool of money, I just like, the <laughs> eyes went big. Like, I'm like, yeah, that that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Ron, no. Justin wants the entire, he, he'll right. just take the entire budget. That budget, I'll take that. No, yeah. okay. Sorry, go ahead. Um, and so the reality is that like money is complicated. And mm-hmm. when you make a payment, like I said, out of a bug bounty program, that comes out of the bug bounty budget pool, 
which is part of the greater security team budget, mm-hmm. which is part mm-hmm. of the probably engineering team budget, which is part of the yearly budget for the entire company. Right. And when anything starts to shift, whether you go over or under that, then lots of other factors come involved, right? It's like, oh, there's extra money here. Let's take that and spend it on a security tool. Or let's, um, oh, you don't, you, you didn't use all that money? All right, well, that other team is going to get more money because they needed it last year. And so there's like all sorts of like weird meta aspects to paying a bounty and to where that money is coming from that, Yes, it's not your money, but it kind of is your money because it's your team's money. It's, mm. you know, it's the money that you have for next year or um, it's the tooling that you're planning to buy uh, in six months. Or like mm. there are a lot of other aspects where it kind of is your money. It's it's your money in the sense that you're you have like ownership over it, but it's not your money. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think you, that's you're a where, steward of that money. You're you're yeah. supposed to be using this money for the greater purpose of the organization that you're working with. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And I think very few companies are able to keep up with the type of pace that gets set by live hacking event programs right. specifically. Yeah. Um, I think it really sets an unfair bar in terms of what people should be paying and what's considered a reasonable bounty Those like are just blank checks sometimes to you know to the security yeah. team so yeah yeah i mean it's like you know you see a program that pays multiple millions of dollars at a single event that is many times the full security budget for plenty of companies mm-hmm. um and like the reality is that not every company can do that. Not every company can keep up with that. And so that is also part of where the, the stinginess comes in, which is like, is this something that we actually care about? If I'm looking at my budget and what I'm supposed to be paying for this, is this something that's worth paying? You know, say I have $50,000 in my budget. Is this worth paying 20% for a 10K crit? Right. Of, of my whole budget for who knows how, like, you know, what if it's February? And you got 50K in your budget and you just got a 10K. Yeah, 50K in your budget. I don't know. <laughs> and like... it's like, oh, okay, I'm two months in and I am I just blew 20% of my budget. Like, what yeah. do I, you know, what happens if this happens again in two weeks, right? And so I think there's a lot of aspects where programs start to get stingy because there are other aspects involved around like, where's the money going to come from? And uh, how's the company doing in general? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of, other other things but yeah a lot of it is just really comes down to budgets are weird and confusing and getting more money or having extra money is like a weird balance and every company kind of handles that differently a lot of times it's not received well um in mm. either case <laughs> so but, but on the flip side of that you know the more bounties you pay the more budget you may get allocated the next year yeah, man, I uh, I have a really I can really help you out here, you know. <laughs> like I could I could submit you could pay him really good, and then you'll get more money next year. This is not going to be a popular take, but I think that okay. programs that pay a lot of money are really just messing it all up. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, like oh. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, as a bug bounty researcher, would I like to get lots of bounties? Absolutely, every day of the week. As a program. Would I mm. want to be paying millions of dollars every single year because my security team is not finding those things and not fixing those things and not detecting those things and not 
securing from the inside, but putting all this emphasis in money, literally just like spending money because we're paying other researchers to find these things that our team should be proactively trying to fix and find. Right? I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I think, I think, and I, and I know you said it's a hot take or whatever, and it, and it is for, oh, for sure. It's a hot take, but like, but like, let's say this. Okay. Let's say you spend $500 or $500, $500,000 on <laughs> your security. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. $500,000 on your, um, you know, on your bug bounty reports for this year, okay? Um, how, like, let's let's say what average bounty of two k. So you know you're you're resolving two hundred and fifty vulnerabilities there. I, I, you know roughly, right? Um, if you were to hire a an employee, let's say a Silicon Valley engineer, AppSec, you know, employee, right? Let's say you're you can hire. Let's be generous, and let's say we can hire. Two of them for five hundred thousand, which I think I don't think you can. Um, what are the chances that they will produce one hundred and twenty-five vulner valid vulnerabilities each in one year on some of the hardened, you know, some some very hardened scope? I feel like that's pretty unlikely. Uh, for the math here, by the way, fifty-two weeks, five days a week is two hundred and fifty days a year. So you're asking for a bug every other day. I, well, no one's working 52 weeks a year here's though, the thing. as a Silicon Valley engineer, <laughs> you know, just to be clear. But sure, uh, sure. But, you know, they're also not, they might find two bugs in maybe a Maybe 50, I, but yeah. Yeah, whatever. Like, I, I think the reality is that um, the break even is pretty close. Um, but if you, again, like, I defer back to the fact that if you have a program that is consistently paying insane amounts of bounties and that number's not going down, Mm -hmm. That means either you're raising your bounties mm -hmm. and finding less or you're not doing your job. That's how I see it. I like Oof. you're just not like a security team should be paying less bounties, right? Like I don't understand how your engineering team could be outpacing security so badly that you're paying more money. And also, I don't see how that's a good thing. It's like, kind of based, I, though. Not going to lie. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like. It, I, I, at the end of the day, you know, from a from a business perspective, you you're unless you're you know growing extremely fast in the number of engineers that you're employing to write code that have mistakes in it is increasing very fast. Over time, security is is a cost, you know, and that yes. that cost ideally should be going down as you understand what mistakes your company is making. Over time, yeah. yeah, or it goes up. Because I don't of the like value. it, but I kind of like, agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I just don't think that. Like, like I see so many programs that are like boasting, like, "Oh, we paid so much money this year." Yeah, man, that's awesome. But like, why? <laughs> What what is happening internally? Like, what is your security team doing? Well, because okay, they should be helping, like, cut this back so much. Let me devil's advocate that though. The devil's advocate of that is that you're resolving actual vulnerabilities, and you're finding out these problems. Every single problem that it, that is being reported and paid for is a valid vulnerability, and that's the that's the beauty of bug bounty, right? So sure. if you're paying out more money, it doesn't. I guess you could try to trace it all the way back down to the cost, but at, but at the point you're paying it out, it's already a sunken cost. You've already have that vulnerability on your platform. And at any given point, if you could pay the money to resolve the vulnerability, that's that's the choice you're making because of risk, right? 
Um, yes, but <laughs> if the engineer finds it, like if your security team finds that and fixes it, and then also simultaneously fixes 10 other bugs, not only have they saved you mm. so much more money, but yeah. also that's what they're getting paid to do. You know, like mm -hmm. on top of paying bounties, you're paying security engineers to run the security team, maintain the program, like do day to day stuff. And also you're paying bounties, right? Like mm -hmm. imagine if you could take the seven million dollars that you pay in your bounties and spend one and a half on salaries and mm -hmm. then keep six million dollars to do whatever you like. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it's just a really hard concept for me to understand why when i see companies bragging about the fact that they're paying super large amount of bounties every year i'm like yeah maybe for like a year or two that's a good thing to see but after that you should be paying nowhere even close to that because your security team should be learning from this they should be yeah. making the changes they should be putting stuff in place that's gonna like oh this happened because xyz let's figure out how to detect that so it doesn't happen again yeah right? I, like this is what from a security team perspective this is what we do and when i see companies who are like oh we paid five million dollars last year oh and we, before that we paid two million dollars i'm like what like yeah <laughs> yeah i see it i see it i don't love it but i see it and, and yeah, it, and it sort know. of makes sense and i think um that is one of the things that's tricky about bug bounty as well is you've got to study the bugs you're getting um and you really to be honest you need at least you know, maybe, maybe um, depending on the volume of your program, but a lot of programs need a dedicated asset, a, de de a dedicated person um, to that because it is so much research. And, and every single time, you know, you look at a bug bounty report, you're not seeing all of the layers of, of research that went into getting that bug bounty report out there. So there's a lot of reverse engineering that needs to happen from the program side. And I was privy yeah. to... Um, a conversation lately. Thankfully, somebody came up to me and told me about how um, one of my reports was dealt with within their internal organization. Where, after um, I submitted this report, um, their their internal red team is actually you know sort of weaponizing these these reports, and they were able to use them to accomplish uh, you know a couple tasks, a couple objectives that they had for the red team goals. Um, uh, and that was really that was really cool to hear. And I think that's the correct approach because that that you know that the internal red team, the internal um, security team is learning from those reports and will will make sure those sort of mistakes don't happen again. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, like when I see programs like not taking learnings away, which is usually pretty evident based on how yeah. they're paying stuff and how much yeah. they're paying, yeah. it's really frustrating because I'm like, dude, like your company is like burning money, like yeah. literally just like spending money, like hand over fist to pay researchers, to pay the engineers, like all this stuff. And you could save, like this is an easy justification. Like, oh, we could save a bunch of money if we hire five new people and have them specifically focus on stuff that's reported by the bug writing program to like put preventative measures in place. Like <laughs> easy, right? Yeah, like you could probably save yeah. the bounties that you're paying, you know, that you're yeah. paying, you know, just exactly. by doing that. Yeah, yeah, so, it pays for itself. That, okay, that's my right. take on on bounties and budgets. Next question: Why on earth are you not paying me a bounty at triage? I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> honestly, fun fact: Did you know this? I didn't know this. Uh, Hacker One triage is supposed to retest bugs before they're resolved. Really? Huh? Yeah. Says that's that in the Hacker One docs. Huh? Yeah. Go ahead. Google Hacker One retesting first result. It says right here: Note. 
For response programs using HackerOne's triage services, the triage team will retest the vulnerabilities to verify the fixes instead of hackers. Interesting. Huh. I'm not going to lie. From a both a hacker and a program perspective, I have never seen that happen. Wow. I'm just going to put that out there. That's that's pretty that's pretty odd. Have man. you seen? I, have have you not. Ever, <laughs> yeah, I've not. No, I, I've seen I've seen triagers escalate my bugs before, um, and that that mostly occurs at triage time, um, but I haven't seen them retest it. Okay, but retesting. Hold on, we've got a section, Joel, for retesting. So we'll we'll come to the retesting thing. What I want to know where we're at is, right now? <laughs> no, 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 no. The question is, why why are you not issuing a bounty at triage? For, oh, oh, for, at triage. Yeah, at triage, not at retest. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. So, okay, this, I think that's a little bit more pointed. Okay, I'm gonna make it less pointed. No, no, no I'm gonna leave it. No, no, I'm, gonna, sure, I'm gonna leave sure. it pointed. Yeah, I'm gonna leave why it not, pointed. Why not pay at triage? Sure. Um, I mean, I, I think you probably should pay minimum bounty at triage mm -hmm. at least. Mm -hmm. Um, the hard part about paying at triage is that oftentimes you don't know what the full impact is until you can do some further investigation. Sure. That's where it gets hard to pay a full bounty at triage. Um, however, like I said, I think programs should probably be trying to pay minimum bounty at triage, meaning mm. you know that this is at the very minimum X severity, medium, high, whatever, low. Okay. Pay that bounty. You know, you're going to pay at least that much, pay some money, show them that, that, you appreciate the report that it's being worked on. Give them some, give them a, some crumbs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. So we figure we, out the we've impact. All, we've all heard. Pay the rest. We've all heard this argument, right? But like, why? What? So I feel like there's two things here, right? There's there's the um, internal technical assessment, right? That will tell you exactly what the impact of that bug is. You know, assuming you do a thorough investigation and don't miss anything, right? But then there's also the triage assessment which is just like oh no that's bad i don't want that happening to my organization right so like you know you you go to the report you click on the link the alert box pops up we can all acknowledge that normally that's bad right you know sure. so so i feel like at that point you you triage the bug pay the lowest pay the lowest bounty and I mean, I just wonder, like, do you have any insight into why we don't see this more often? Because I feel like this is a pretty easy thing to to do. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, this is one of those things that, like, seems like a no-brainer to me. Uh, yeah. I don't – I have yet to get a really good understanding why programs don't do that. Okay. I, I think it really just boils down to the nuance, which is that they don't want to overpay for something accidentally mm -hmm. because mm. if – the minimum is so high that it's maybe higher than a maximum for something else. Right? Sure. Then yeah, that, I mean, they you see that don't want to make that call. And and that's fair. But I think like you, you should be doing your best to try and pay the minimum acceptable bounty that you like know for sure this is going to be at least as much. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I just think Burgum should be doing that. Well, you know, that's not the answer <laughs> I wanted to hear, Joel. I wanted to hear <laughs> I'm some sorry. reason like, like, uh, like I mean, I cannot I, fathom why a program would <laughs> would be like this is worth at least as much, but we're gonna wait. All right, until yeah. it's fixed. I mean, I don't know. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, like you're gonna pay them one way or another. Frustrating. Like, I don't know. It frust it's frustrating. All right, so so let's talk about the retesting. So HackerOne sure. is supposed to do. Uh, apparently, yeah. if you're using HackerOne retest services, HackerOne is supposed to no, retest. No, no, no. If you have H1 triage, yeah, 
I mean, uh, if you manage According to the H1 doc, it says yeah. if you're using HackerOne's triage services, the triage team is supposed to retest the vulnerability <laughs> to verify the fix as a set of hackers. Now, again, I, in my experience in hacking, both as a researcher and as a program operator, I've never seen H1 triage do that. Not to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, it I think they need to pull that happened. out of those docs. Everybody that I've talked to has been like, uh, really? That is that <laughs> so, is mega workload increase for them, for sure. Uh, yes, yeah. And, and like triage already has not enough thing. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think the whole like, should we pay retesting? The fact that it's a feature there and it's like literally $50, just do it. Just pay, um, yeah, just pay it, right? Like, I think if you're getting a $5,000 bounty, me paying you $50 more shouldn't matter to you as a researcher, personally. Like, I'm like, what is the, what is the, the be, you know, yeah. whatever. To be honest, the $50 isn't even really, to be honest, the $50 isn't really that motivating in general, even. Like, I feel like if you want, especially when programs take so freaking long to resolve the bug. Like if you resolve the bug in 24 hours and you ask me to retest, I'm going to retest for you because I appreciate you, yeah. you know, like, cause that's, cause that's good shit. Right. And, and, and I want to encourage that. But if, if it's three months down the line, I got pinged the other day to do a retest of a bug that I reported in January. And I yeah. said, uh, actually I didn't say anything cause I was like, I'm not even going to respond to that because there's no way that I'm about to come back to this report and, and reread the whole report. And go set up the whole thing that I need to do and refigure out, you know, where that bug was and get back in that flow state to be able to actually yeah. test this without well, any I mean, sort of That's why, like, random people get invited to perform retests when you don't accept it. And, and like, That's bullshit, by the way. That is that is <laughs> absolutely yeah. not, not like, cool. That definitely feels like a little bit of a weird thing in terms of, like, my bug being yeah and whatever. Yeah. But, but nonetheless, um, you know, I think paid retesting should be the normal i think even if you don't pay someone to retest doing that retest form should be part of the normal flow because from a program perspective the hacker is prompted to say whether or not it was fixed and whether or not they found any bypasses and that's really i think why programs ask researchers to do retesting in the first place mm, is mm. because they don't want to say, okay, this is fixed, and then tomorrow get a new report with a bypass when the researcher, like, it's not it's not really good faith, right? It, the reality is that, like, <sighs> you know, like, if I ask you to fix something and you find a bypass, I, and, this is, and this is, I think, is, like, the program should probably be paying, like, a bonus mm. if you find a bypass or I something see like that. that, right? Like, the security team should also be checking it on their app. It shouldn't just be like, oh, the researcher is now going to be an engineer and verify this on our behalf. Like, mm -hmm. you should probably check it. Then you should have the researcher check it. And then if the researcher finds a bypass, they should get a bonus. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think bypasses don't necessarily need to have 100% of the bounty paid again unless it is... I guess unless some time has passed and unless that... that, that component has changed or if the hacker had to be in a different, you know, sort of flow state, you know, it's it, like the way I, I view it from it, from a security perspective it's is that it, it's this, it's the same problem. It's just an incomplete fix. And so asking to get paid 
But it's still a vault. Before right? it's a, you can't yeah, say that you pay versus off of impact, Joel, and then say that it's the same vault and it in in you know pay for less. I mean, it is the same vault. <laughs> it's again, it's like. But it's still a vault, and it's still vulnerable, and it's still on your attack surface. Sure, this goes back but... to the same conversation that we had at the beginning of the episode. You know, about zero days is like if the if the vault is there and it's vulnerable, and you're not actively doing anything about it, and I make you do something about it, then we've completed that transaction that Bug Bounty is built upon. No. Sure. Okay, but here's the thing: if it's the same problem. Like, this is an ongoing issue, right? This is not, like, a new attack vector, right? Mm. This is, like, uh, this your bug, your fix is incomplete. Then that doesn't deserve a new bounty, in my opinion, right? Like, if this is the same root cause and something was incorrectly, incorrectly fixed, we're talking about bypasses versus new vulnerabilities here, right? It's not like, oh, there was six months and they regressed or mm -hmm. they made, like, a code change that reintroduced this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the same vulnerability that was not properly fixed and you the researcher found a bypass i'm happy to give you a bonus for that i'm not going to pay you the same bounty mm -hmm. i'm not going to pay you 2x i guess i guess it sort of comes down to what we define this sort of researcher program relationship to be because in my eyes as as only a bug bounty hunter right this, this is my perspective my job is to bring you valid vulns on your attack surface so that you can fix them and make it make it better, right? And, yeah. and secure your your thing, right? I'm not in charge of telling you how to fix it. I'm not in charge of telling you, you know, um, I'm not in charge of anything else. I just bring you the vault, right? And if you introduce a fix that it's not a complete fix, then I do my job again and I bring you the vault. You know, and and and, and I, I see I see like if it's something like let's say for example something like uh, um, let's say an SSRF right and, and and the 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 fix is like black blacklisting you know specific hosts or whatever and you bypass it by using like a octal encoded IP address or something like that right, yeah. um, that that is a scenario where. I have brought additional piece of knowledge to the to to the table, and, and to be just just to be clear, I'm I'm devil's advocating a bit here. I don't sure. mind the bonus. Um, I think the bonus is is sort of is sort of fine unless I put a substantial amount of work into bypassing that, right? And I think I think the researcher has to be a little bit transparent about that. But we need to be a little bit more clear, I think, about what the transaction is um, in, in bug bounty, because at the end of the day, the the vulnerability that you fixed as you perceived it was a vulnerability of this SSRF can at attack a specific host, you know, in the scenario. And, and I just brought to you that exact same scenario again, after you had already taken that pro that, that issue off your to-do list, you're no longer actively aware of this vulnerability. And I just brought you the exact same thing again. Yeah. So I, here's the thing. I, I think a lot of teams will view this as the same problem. And I think rightfully so, because it's going to be all the same attack vector. It's going to be the same fixed location. It's going to be everything. It's just that the fix is different. And it's not that it's a new vulnerability. It's the same vulnerability in a different form. Um, and in the same way that uh, the same vulnerability on multiple hosts may or may not get paid as multiple vulnerabilities, to, you know, they might pay a bonus because it affects multiple things, but they probably depending on the program, probably won't be paying you 
that bug times that many hosts because it's going to be like a single fix or it's going to be like a one single, you know, usually it's like, wh where is the fix? And, and from a program perspective, like, let me, let me walk you through it. You submit a bug to me. We fix it. We resolve it. We pay it. Tomorrow, you submit the same exact vulnerability to me, except with octal encoding. That really <laughs> rubs <laughs> okay. me the wrong way. <laughs> okay, like uh, from 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 a program perspective, like that that is enough to like really set things off in terms of one: is this even something valid? Like the program could close that as a as a dupe of your other report and reopen. Like uh, I think, like not if it's already resolved. Not if the report is already resolved. Well, right, and Joel. so this is the thing: is like if if the report gets resolved. Right, And I think, again, this is why a lot of programs will go back and say, hey, can you verify the fix? And let us know if you find a bypass. Because if I say, hey, can you verify this? And you say, yep, looks fixed to me. And then tomorrow you report a bypass to the vuln, you were lying to me. <laughs> like, Well, okay. No, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, okay, well, we do have incentive to lie, actually, because we get more <laughs> yeah, money. You know? yeah, like, you know? like the incentive here is that like, Oh yeah, that's fixed. Oh, here's a here's a bypass to it. Oh yeah, that's fixed. Oh, here's another bypass, right? And keep farming that. And I I totally see the aspect. Like yeah, you gotta make a living. However, this is the same bug, right? This is not like oh, this is a novel like. You okay, know. but here's the thing, Joel. It's not the same freaking bug because it's it's not on your like. Why do bugs well, this happen? This is why retesting exists. This, this is this is why bugs. Are, uh, happen in the first place is some developer somewhere doesn't know enough and and not, you know not to say that they need to know everything you know it's okay everyone makes mistakes it's fine but but at the end of the day they don't know enough about the technology they're using to implement it properly right that's the okay. tldr of the situation and and that same situation happens again when we we have a, a sort of a, a retest to new bug sort of situation, which is we've identified a vulnerability. They've fixed the vulnerability to the extent of their knowledge, right? And then at the end and at the end of the day, that is off the to-do list. No one's thinking about it. No one's thinking like, you know, this is a is a valid, you know, thing that we maybe we need to go back and like, you know, workshop it. No, 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 none of that. It's off the to-do list. And then the attacker highlights that exact same sort of problem again, where it's like you clearly aren't understanding the technology you're working with here to the extent that you need to to protect your users right and and i don't know it just feels like the, you know what i i think we're going around in circles here i understand where yeah. this is going to go um yeah i actually I mean, have sort of talked myself into a little bit of a different position than i had at the beginning of this argument i think which is that if our job is not actually to advise you on how to fix this vulnerability and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't right then i think retest needs to be new new either more strongly compensated than the 50 bucks that that hacker one offers or they need to be new bucks yeah like again i think that the program should be fairly compensating right and if, if that means like if you find a unique like a novel bypass like i should be at least giving you that 50 dollars for the retest right mm -hmm. like yeah the reality is that like as I mentioned, this should not be like, you should not be the security team, right? 
The security team should be verifying this themselves. In some cases, H1 Triage should also be ver verifying this themselves. Like there should be other layers of verification in place before this gets to the researcher. Not only does it make the security team look bad if the researcher finds a bypass of their fix, but it also means that you didn't do your job well. Mm. And so like, I think if it gets that far, like there should be at least some sort of compensation for the time and the effort, but I don't see it as a totally unique new vulnerability that deserves a fresh yeah. new payout. Here's an interesting thing is that as an, as a hacker, you can like say with the SSRF scenario, right? Let's say I, I, I put in a new host, you know, you, you hit that host. Okay. That whole thing goes to the thing. And I know in the beginning, you know what? I bet this uses octal encoding too. And I bet because there's already a whitelist, they're just going to fix the whitelist, right? Or whatever. Right. Um, or the, I'm sorry, the blacklist. Um, and then you withhold that information from the original report, right? That that's that is that is tricky. That is dishonest and not something that yeah. I would do, right? Yeah. But I also feel like there's a flip side of this, which is that programs also have this sort of trickiness when it comes to impact assessment because you can look at your organization and say, okay, wow, this guy found an XSS on this one host that actually affects 1,500 hosts, right? And then pay them out for the specific, you know, the the one bug, right? Um, because they didn't know, right? So there there are, there are things that eat, that both parties yeah. can bring to the table that that will portray honesty, that will um, uh, maintain their you know ethical integrity in this in this yeah. exchange, and um, and I think uh, that's a valuable part of building that program researcher relationship. I think this is also yeah. the case with retesting where. In a retest, I will do a retest if I'm interested in building a good relationship with the program, um, and they've sort of, you know, paid that same respect forward, right? Um, yeah. And so I think I think it can be a tool just like anything else to build build the relationships that Bug Bounty is really built upon. Yeah, and I I think like that point you made is like I think it's a kind of a good way to think about it. It's like okay, if if I have two different ways to exploit this, octal and normal encoding, for example. Mm -hmm. If I submit them both at the same time, almost certainly one would be duped on the other one. Absolutely. If I report one, wait for it to be fixed, and report the other one, probably the same thing should happen to some extent. Now, if I report them both in the same report, does that mean I should get extra money? Mm, maybe, maybe not. I think when it comes specifically down to bypassing a fix, that's when extra money should start to come into play where it's we we fixed this no you didn't right like mm -hmm. if, if i was a different researcher this would be a new report mm -hmm. right and that i think is where <clears throat> it gets to be fair where you can start to throw extra money in there but simply as like if you know that like these two things are both possible and then only one of them gets fixed i think you are somewhat obligated to tell them like all right by the way you know and I think the program, in good faith, should pay for that yeah. to some extent. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation, man. Yeah. I, I I think uh, <laughs> unexpectedly it, that actually got topic. a little little bit, you know, like that actually got a little bit tricky, uh, a yeah, little bit sure. heated there. And um, yeah, I think I think uh, I think there's definitely a lot of ethics that comes into bug bounty that's under talked about. We should do an episode on that. And I think uh, yeah. I think. I want to say it was Jubobs or um, yeah, I think it was Jubobs that commented on the the Twitter post where we were talking about topics so that that would be a good topic. I totally agree. We'll have to, we'll have to think yeah. about that. Yeah, um, 
Okay, so we are we are at like what an hour thirty. You doing okay? That you got a couple more yeah, minutes. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, let me see which one of these are gonna hit the hardest because we're not gonna hit all these. Um, I, I guess we sort of talked about the sort of systemic issue piece when we when we talked about you know in this last conversation as well. Um, from a program perspective, from your experiences, do you think it's it is dishonest to withhold specific reports for any given period of time. Depends on the severity. Mm. Um, <clears throat> if it's a crit, yeah, probably unethical. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think it depends on two, two things. Well, I mean, one thing, really. Like, it, severity, which should be mm. based on impact. Like the reality is that the reason that a bug bounty program exists and the reason that you participate in a bug bounty program is to try and increase the security of that company in a ethical and profitable way for the researcher and for the company, right? Mm. They're saving money. Yeah. They're, you know, whatever. If you start to hold stuff, the, I mean, there's a lot of tangential stuff you can get into right like why are you holding it is it for a life hacking event is it because whatever right like don't at me I, bro what are you doing <laughs> like it depends i know a lot of researchers myself included will hold bugs like uh yeah. you know for like a week or two yeah. you know depending right the pro I think programs know this just to be clear you know yeah. we're not we're, they know this yeah yeah, like, you know, the thing is that, like, researchers start hacking before the submission window gets open, and they might have stuff stocked up that they're ready to submit because they want to submit it through the special event program or whatever, like, or they want to use it for, like, a, a later bug. A chain or something, yeah. I think the ethics of that are really complicated. Um, from a program perspective, I, obviously, we want to hear about everything, but... The reality is that not everything needs to be heard and mm. reported. Like if it's an open redirect, that is something that's a lot easier to make that decision for. You know what right. I mean? Like if it's something that's like uh, mostly a non-issue unless it's used in another circumstance and chained together with something, then I think that's that's fine. Like I understand that like, you know, that may not be the best case. However, I think it's still something that the company should eventually hear about. Mm. Um, like if it's like an IDOR that, or like an endpoint that leaks a lot of IDs that you can then use for an IDOR, the company should probably hear about that to some, like in really? one way or another. That's, that's either, interesting. Either through your report or either uh, through, if you chain it, like, you know, put them both in your report and then reference that report in future reports. Like if mm. you have another IDOR that uses that same type of ID, be like, as I showed in report That's a mature number, way of whatever. approaching like, it. <laughs> I, I think that there are ways that you can disclose stuff without losing your bug. You know what I mean? Like you can prove that these things exist and these things are possible. And that makes it a lot easier to make an impact case for your bug. Yeah. Right? The same way that like if you have one bug that shows that cookies are scoped to every subdomain on, uh, on, on a root domain. Right. And right. Then later you find another XSS on a subdomain of the root domain. You can use that as a case. You, I mean, you should use that and say, as you know, look, this happens. 
there are cookies like sensitive cookies that have been previously scoped to main domains and you know it's a plausible scenario that it could happen yeah i, I, I think, feel like, like that kind of goes against the poc or gtfo piece of bug bounty though you know like i mean i guess you can say that yeah. from one you know from one or you know x yeah, i mean like don't get upset if the type. if the program says okay yes but yeah. it's not exploitable right well, now that, that's a good point is like you know if if you if you do report it and they close it as an informative you know or well, whatever I, I, yeah i, I don't know. think they should close it informative i think that they should that should be a mitigating factor but i think it should absolutely be something that's relevant to like okay yeah this was that like six months ago this would have been exploitable right yeah and it's a separate bug than whatever like i i think that's that's reasonable like when we look at impact mm -hmm. internally a lot of times we'll ask was this ever possible like was mm -hmm. was there ever a case where cookies could be scoped to mm -hmm. this subdomain accidentally or globally and then you could get an ato with an xss like mm. you know if that's something that's happened and it is possible within the bounds of the infrastructure that's being used then that's something that should be taken as a serious consideration as a possibility of something that could happen or exist somewhere else right like the fact that that pattern ever was there means that that pattern can be there again okay and so i think like that's that's something that should be kept in mind so again like don't get a mess like don't don't get all frustrated if the, if the program's like okay well yes but this isn't actively exploitable right now so we're right. going to put a mitigating factor on that so so what you're describing here is I guess the most communicative or most respectful way to interact with the program in that regard, which is like, let's say we've got the IDOR um, ID generator, right? Yeah. We report that to them. They don't accept it as a bug. We're not upset about that, but they know that that exists, right? And, and they're able to use that in their impact assessments. And then the next time we find a bug where we actually utilize this, then we reference it and say, here's the, you know, that's the that's the report yeah i mean I and use. again like personally like as a researcher i probably wouldn't just report that by itself Same. unless it was 100 like, if it's just ids like mm, like again very low security impact here mm -hmm. but if i had another idor i might report those two things together and mm -hmm. then it, again, if I find a third IDOR later down the line Reference that uses that, that other same, report. right, then I can say, oh, okay, uh, you know, as I showed in this other report, it's possible to leak these IDs. Like maybe I had them all stored as an attacker or I web archived them or uh, whatever. Like, I, I don't really think you have to get that in depth about like, yeah, oh, like this, this is how an attacker could have gotten it. It's like, I showed that it was possible to get them. Right. Okay. So yes, that that makes sense. I'm gonna jump into the timeline section here because I've actually sure. got a couple pointed questions that I'd I'd like to ask and and get your response on. Yeah. The the first one that I'm just gonna drop is like, I'm I'm curious what an actual root cause analysis looks like from a program's perspective and an impact assessment like, and why the heck does it take so damn long? <laughs> Sometimes like like I know there's a lot of code. Right, yeah. but if you dropped me into a production code base with grep, you know, like and and I and I have a unique parameter name or whatever, I would expect to be able to find the code that is responsible for this thing within an hour max. Like, sure. am I crazy? Like, you know, no, that that's totally doable. But what does that give you? That gives me the yeah, the piece yeah of I know where it happens. Yeah, but like. Does that tell me what it can do? Does that give me the impact of what it, what is capable from there? That's where it takes more nuanced understanding. So finding where it actually exists, like where the actual root cause is, that is generally pretty easily. It That's depends the easy on, part. 
yeah it generally depends on the org like some orgs are a lot more organized than others uh i'd say that where i work it's very straightforward it's pretty mm -hmm. you know it's very, yeah very easy to like see oh okay this endpoint points to this service mm -hmm. which is handled here this sure. line of code right like easy um other companies probably not as easy it depends on the company it depends on how like well structured they are but the hard part is like okay now like what could you do with this and that's where it takes knowledge from like a security engineer or somebody to or maybe just even a normal engineer who understands what the rest of the infrastructure looks like what can that service talk to uh what access what data access does it have so for each bug have are you having a, a meeting bit? with the with these engineers are you sending an email is it a message mm, i mean what yeah i mean it's like a usually it's a message uh, so like it, typically here's what happens with the report and and this is again generic this is not like mm -hmm. sure specific to either yes, program but like just roughly i'd say like most of the time report comes in gets validated by either the team or triage or some it gets triaged somehow right in one way or another then that ticket that that report gets turned into an internal ticket which gets assigned to an engineer sometimes with a root cause sometimes with a fix usually one or both and then from there it's up to the engineer and their team to fix it and that priority is generally up to the engineering team not up mm -hmm. to the security team sometimes it's up to the security team sometimes there are agreements that say like you know security tickets have this sla they need to be fixed in this amount of time um you know there's this much priority if it doesn't get prioritized then we'll have discussions with leadership or whatever right it's crazy but to me that like you guys have such segments in these big organizations where it's like all right like when i hear sla i think like external vendor agrees to do xyz by you know external time but you're literally talking to somebody in your own company and saying yeah. like, hey we have an SLA agreement where you got to fix this, you know, by yeah. this time. Yeah, it's really, that's very well, and, odd. And what you have to realize is that like the engineering team is not just like sitting around waiting for the security team to be like, no. hey, we got something for you to fix, yeah. right? Yeah. Like every single day while the security team is handling other bugs and all that kind of stuff, the engineering team is being told by the product team, oh, like here's a new feature we want you to write. And can you implement this? And can you fix right. this bug in like non-security yeah. bugs? Security is not their thing. Logical yeah. bug, right? Like, can you add this feature? Can you, whatever. Like all these other things that relate to like their day-to-day -day engineering job. And then a new thing comes into that system and is like hey make room for me i'm important yeah <laughs> yes. and, and it doesn't even and, and i'm sure these devs are aligned with the vision you know sometimes too of the products iteration you know of, of the yeah. products development and this can kind of seem i bet 99 percent of the time this feels like a blocker and this feels like just this annoying little task they got to get out of the way yeah to move on and with their actual features that they're developing yeah. And so I think this is where like a lot of nuance falls in between like the relationship between security teams and engineering teams and how to like promote security as like a core value mm. because it's, it can be very difficult to get engineers to give a shit about security mm. issues mm. because it's exactly what you're describing, which is that like, there's a new ticket that just like popped up out of nowhere that is now increasing their workload and is yeah. now a thing that they have to take Popped care right of. right onto my Kanban board or whatever. Yeah, you know? It's like, <laughs> not, they weren't planning on this. Right. Like, this wasn't something that was on their radar. It wasn't in their sprint. It wasn't in their planned amount of work. And now they have this extra thing that they have to deal with. And that mm. goes all the way up the chain. It goes to the man, their manager. It goes to the product team. Like, everybody now has to account for this extra load within the system. Mm. And it really depends like on how 
the teams view security as like it should be like a helpful thing right like this is to like stop like prevent issues everybody should be mm -hmm. owning security and so like there's a lot of nuanced aspects to getting the engineering teams and not just engineering but all the teams to take security seriously and own it um and that can be difficult and if you have a team who give, who gives a shit about security and like they respect it and when a security issue comes in they take it seriously that's the best type of relationship that's typically where you see stuff get fixed very fast like yeah. responsive all that kind of stuff Man, but I if it doesn't you just have to realize that like you you and your issue are battling <clears throat> are battling against so many other things you're battling against the product team who tells that engineering team what to do you're battling against the sure. c levels and the management teams who are trying to drive the business in yeah, a certain yeah, yeah. direction like there are so many other things that the security team as much as they'd like to have number one priority and be the most important thing just can't i wonder yeah. i wonder how we as bug bounty hunters or we even as external consultants to an organization could help foster that sort of relationship with the devs like I, I guess i'm sure that's a that's a challenge and one of the challenges that i've not been exposed to as i'm not a you know CISO or even you know an appsec engineer but th but that yeah. seems like a good investment of time is like having your security champions or whatever in your various um dev yeah. product teams and stuff like that that are really like you've invested in somehow making them um appreciate security and and you know champion it within their little little block their little team yeah absolutely i like there are various ways you can do that i think one really great way for bug bounty especially is any valid bug bounty report is an external vulnerability report right somebody outside the company found it it's a valid vulnerability and it affects your company with no special permissions it affects it externally right that's a huge yeah like thing that you can use to advocate and say like an external security researcher found this vuln on our site mm -hmm. and is currently actively exposed externally. We need to fix that's this. That's a big deal. Fixing it, right? Yeah. Like, that's a big deal. And I think that you can at least use that to help drive the importance of it. And then you can use that again as backup when you're like training your engineers. So like one of the things that we'll do internally is we'll take a lot of these things that we notice like systemic problems or like core problems that are popping up over and over again and we'll try and turn that into trainings that then every single new hire engineer gets put through this security training that walks them through like how the security process should yeah, work yeah but it's and training you know like no no, no. Uh, but this is like day one <laughs> okay yeah but like so it, is trust me it works it, I, I promise okay. we wouldn't do it if it didn't work okay it, it really right. it helps a lot it helps people understand that like security matters and is taken seriously it shows them from day one that security is not just like a background process, but it mm. is part of the process. Yeah. And that when they when they want to like expose a new endpoint, security has to know and security yeah. has to review that. And like that is like a real core part of the engineering process. And it it states it as a fact instead of an, an option. That 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 is important. And I'm sure that that's an intentional cultural thing that you've got to foster. Yeah. And you know, my next question here on the list is like, why the frick does it take so long? <laughs> like, aren't you guys yeah. using agile? Like, like, can't you just like sure. <laughs> just slip it into the next sprint and it be fixed yeah. within the week? You know, if but, it were up to me, absolutely. Yes, but, but, but again, that's as a company I culture problem. Yeah. Yep, yep, it's a company culture problem. It's a, it's a you're fighting with all these other teams and all these other organizations and all these other tickets and all these other everything. Like, again, if it was just security and three engineers i'm sure the relationship would be such that like 
we'd be like, hey, can you fix this? And they'd be like, sure. And then they'd fix it. But there are so many other players that are invisible to the researcher and so many other like, you know, just communication and organizational type problems that are really hard to get around that even if the security team knows in their heart that this is an important thing, it doesn't always get received that same way by the engineering team mm. and so the best thing that you can do is work in the background to try and make security more valuable and have more weight to it when they say hey we have a vulnerability like figure out how the engine how to get the engineering team to understand that oh this is an external vulnerability when the security team comes to me with something that that's I need to fix this. This is important for the company. It's important for our users. It's important for our data, whatever. Yeah, I just, I have a hard time, like, and maybe it doesn't come across to the devs this way, but I have a hard time, like, reconciling that they have two tickets. One is, like, change the CSS styling on this button. And the other one is, like, present prevent mass data leakage of all your users, right? You know? And like got somehow security brain, bro. <laughs> somehow I mean, do, I mean do I I mean is it is yeah. that is that really how it is? Yeah. Sorry, I just yeah. slapped my like, mic with listen, my chin, like but... no like as a security person, of course. Like security is number one for me. I like absolutely security should be number one. It should be the number one priority. Right. It should take precedent over everything. Well, but yeah. it's not my decision. We don't we don't yeah. have to debate that. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um Couple last couple questions. Um, do you ever reread dupe slash informative reports that have been set that way by hacker one triagers, or is that just like a is that like something that would ideally happen, but like just very rarely happens when you actually you know do something with it? So I try to yes, I try to read through like I try to watch everything that they're doing. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Um, yeah. I hope that this doesn't portray h1 triage in a negative or unfavorable light uh the reality is that they have a very difficult job and mm -hmm. that very difficult job is trying to manage and validate reports across thousands of companies hundreds to thousands of companies i don't know how how many programs each triage is responsible for mm -hmm. but i know that i see a lot of the same names across a lot of Oh, a yeah. lot of different programs right so so the reality is that they're dealing with a lot of different things and they're trying to do that at scale um like many many times a day and that is a difficult job to do it's a difficult job to do it well and it's a difficult job to do it to the standard that and like somebody who works for that company would be like oh that's how i would do it right and everybody's standard is different this is why external triage services exist like once not provided by the platform but like a cohort of people who you pay sure like ncc group right to do your triage for you and those that type of stuff that that's because it's much more nuanced it's like oh i want you to like handle this in a certain way and i want you to like do this these specific things like you're gonna pay extra for that you're not mm -hmm. gonna oh yeah when you when you pay for h1 triage you're not paying for three specific people to just be like your triagers Maybe if you're paying them millions of dollars a year, you'll get that. <laughs> but most programs are not going to be getting right, that. Okay? Right, right, right. Like the reality is that like 99% of programs are not going to be getting that level of triage experience. Sure. Where it's like, oh, this is my triage team who handles right. things in this specific way and I get to tell them what to do. In your um, experience, do the same H1 triagers work with your program on a regular basis or is that 
you know uh it's like the same handful of them sure i'd be lying if i said that there weren't specific instances where we've like had one thing with like a specific triager and had something had to be reassigned but like often from what i can tell it's who's online in this time zone and Mm. like who who you know who's online who who's triaging right now yeah sometimes it's the same people sometimes it's not i think not every triager has access to every program so they're is going to be some cohort that is responsible for your program, but it's going to vary by time zone and like what time the report comes in and whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, because of all that, because there is so much, like they have to do so many things. They like, nobody's going to be perfect. And so for my programs, I'm going to look and I'm going to see like, did they mess anything up? I'm not going to do that hundred percent of the time. Cause I want to trust cool. them. And yeah. like, there's, that's just way too much overhead. There's no point paying for triage. Right. <laughs> just going to do it yourself. Right. Um, but, but you if know, you see I, I something like that most looks, of the time they're pretty good. If, if you see something that looks weird, that's getting closed by a triager, what do you say? Okay. Let me, let me, let me put this a little bit differently. Um, in the experiences you've had dealing, you know, talking to other program managers in your own programs and your friends that are managing programs, what do you think the chances are that a if a valid bug was closed by Hacker One Triage, what do you think the chance is that the program will catch it? I'm not going to put a number on it because sure. I don't, I don't want to. Um, yeah, but. I'd say it's pretty good that it would get caught. It de- <laughs> it really depends. That was not the um, like answer the, I was expecting, to be honest, uh, uh, whenever I wrote like, this question. Like, if something gets closed, like, it, it really depends on the program. And it's going to mm-hmm. depend on, like, yeah. who's managing it and how much attention they're paying to it and how much of a fuck they give. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the reality is that, like, as I said, a lot of programs will be like, why are we paying for H1 triage if we're going to look through this ourselves? And right. That's valid. Like, why are you paying for H1 triage if you're going to go look through it yourself? Right. But I think it's also your responsibility as a program manager to if you see something that isn't in line with the standard spam reports you're getting and anybody who manages a program kind of knows what I'm saying, which is basically that like every program has a certain cohort of things that are very common. Very <laughs> like clearly just yes, something you're going to get spammed like, on all the time. Sure. Not something that we care about or this is like not even a security issue or whatever. Um, and the reality is that like when you see stuff outside of that, it's very obvious. Mm. Um, and so even if it is like, uh, like gets immediately marked as like informative or duplicate, you're probably going to look at it because you'd be like, huh, that's something different. Like mm. that's not just what I'm normally used to seeing. Now sure. I think if you get a lot of submissions that can be harder to identify. And I think the more submissions that you get, the harder you start to lean on triage Public version, to, program versus private program, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like the harder you're going to lean on triage to basically like be that helping hand to first, filter first stuff line. out. Like the whole reason that triage exists is, Oh, we don't have to look at a report in a new state. We look at a report in a triage state. Mm. Like I don't have to say, Oh, this is valid. This isn't valid. Uh, this is valid because X, Y, like triage should be like, okay, you're getting a bug because we reproduced it and it's valid and you can mm. turn that into a ticket. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's that's uh, that's reassuring, you know, to hear the fact that that there's a decent chance that if something was slipping through the crack, and and like you said, it depends on the programs for sure. But if you're submitting a valid bug to a, to a program that is not like just getting slaughtered with reports all the time, 
there's a pretty decent chance that it, it'll get caught even if, yeah. it, if it gets miscategorized. Yeah. But this totally depends on like who's running it. You know? Yeah. Like how, how much attention are they paying? Yeah. Um, internal activity on a report. What does that mean? What, 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 why <laughs> what am I not mean? seeing this? Like, what, like, it's really funny to see this as a question because like, like this is totally normal stuff from like a program management. Okay. So basically when you leave a comment on a report, <laughs> there's like, you leave a comment. That's it. You know, you just like type something up. You press post and it goes into your, your bug report. What you probably don't realize is that there's like hidden internal communications that happen also on your report that you don't see. So yeah. like when a ticket, uh, for example, if you link it to an internal ticket, that is internal activity. We can type out comments that are only seen by the triage team. And it right. has like a red background. Like you don't, it, it's, you know, marked so, as like, like, this is a hidden... Okay, so is internal activity a good indicator that the report is actually being worked on? Or is there like, this ticket hasn't been updated in 23 days well, sort of notifications that go on no, there that, that definitely would trigger means that. that something's happening. Like if okay. there's internal communications, that means that the triage team and the internal team are having discussions on your ticket privately. Interesting. And they want that to be tied to the ticket. Why don't you just do it in front of me so I can because. see what's going on? <laughs> because oftentimes it's not relevant for the researcher to know these things or it'll be like, for example, triage will say, oh, we're having trouble validating this. Internal team, can you help? Sure. And the internal team will be like, oh, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, like we'll, we'll give you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like, yeah. Do your job. Know, but. Yeah, and but like, basically, when we're done. <laughs> that's what it is. It's like you and the it's it's the internal teams teams uh, whether that's you know the people running the program or the triage team or whatever having communications, talking, trying to figure out you know if something is stuck. That usually means that there's like something weird going on. Gotcha. But internal activity is real. Is real. okay. Yes, yeah, so there are real conversations. That, that, that is that is, uh, <laughs> yes. that is and, and I'm sure you know there are caveats to that. Like I'm sure some programs have like internal automation or whatever that will comment on the ticket, you know, and say like, this ticket hasn't been bloody blah and bloody blah, blah yeah. or whatever. But um, most of the time that's going to be actual activity. Good, yeah, it's good a good know. sign that like pe people are alive and doing things. Okay, yeah. that's good. No need to ask for a follow-up then if I see internal activity, you know, happening. Um, yeah. All right, so two 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 questions. Um, one, you one you can opt to opt out of. The other one you cannot opt out of. I, I already know which one I'm opting out of. Are, are you are you opting out of it? How much does it cost to run a bug bounty program, Joel? Like, come on, you got to tell me something about that. I definitely can't tell you hard numbers on anything. However, okay. what I can tell you is that there are different payment models depending on each company. I definitely almost definitely cannot tell you like what the per program i'll tell you off air how about that okay all right yeah yeah, yeah maybe i'll tell maybe you off we'll... air um it is definitely tens of thousands of dollars a year minimum, okay minimum and that's in, uh, and then you also have like bounty budget on top of that right so mm. there's a fee for the program itself there's a fee for triage services there's a uh, if you decide to do that there's a fee for that that's like dollar for dollar or more for when you pay bounties, right? So if I pay a $5,000 bounty to you, that comes out of my bounty pool, which is separate sure. from the amount of money that I'm paying Hacker One or whoever. That makes sense. For, just okay. to run my program, right? right? So I pay a yearly contract to platform for sure. whatever, maybe triage, the program itself, etc. And then in addition to that, there's a separate amount of money that 
all the bounties come out of. And if that amount runs low, then you make another deposit. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. So there's, <clears throat> and then whenever you pay a bounty, um, you can potentially, you know, platform also take some of the top uh, off that, or, you know, some amount of that also gets paid to the platform. In some yeah, that's, that's where it varies. Um, I yeah. believe the newer contracting models, they don't, they don't do that. Do, they don't do fees like that anymore. Okay. They used to do a flat 20% fee, mm -hmm. um, which I think is public. Yeah. Um, but since then, th lots of stuff has changed. It really depends on like, usually when you renew contract, you might negotiate that with the platform sure. to, to determine like how you want to do your fee structure. Should you pay fees ahead of time? Like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that, that varies a lot. Solid. Um, last question. This has been a absolute freaking marathon of an episode. I have not even <laughs> done that much talking and I am exhausted. I can't imagine how you must feel, but talk to me about LHEs. Are they with live hacking events for those of you that aren't familiar with the acronym? How does that feel from the program side? Is that stressful? Is that fun? Is that all of the above? Yeah, all of the above, all of the above. Um, I run a couple live hacking events um, while I was at Uber. Mm -hmm. They are, <laughs> they don't call it a war room for nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's chaos in there. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So basically here's the picture. All right. You've got at least a couple people from the security team in there. You've probably got at least a couple people from the engineering team or people on call remotely who can help answer questions and not like direct tickets in the right direction and then you've got the triage team and the h1 team in there as well so triage is helping like validate stuff in real time like log in test stuff like if they need something from the security team for help retesting or whatever they're there security team is there to like look at all the bugs address criticality address impact address validity um see if this is stuff that needs to be fixed like now now mm -hmm. now or mm -hmm. can wait until after the event um figuring out payouts I mean, that's like a huge part of it is like the security team meeting trying to decide impact on like 10 bugs <laughs> every hour or more yeah, it's uh, like, like a, a weekly a meeting that happens yeah. but actually every hour yeah <laughs> like, it's like you're sitting down and you're like okay what about this one? Oh, what could they do uh they, they could do this 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 okay uh well that's you know this severity blah blah, blah. okay let's pay it out this next like, yeah, that's that's intense, man. And you're making yeah. you're making big money decisions on the fly like that. That's nuts. Yes. Yeah. So definitely um stressful, definitely a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. Like in hindsight, it's such a great experience to get mm -hmm. to have that real like face to face interaction with the researcher and yeah. build those relationships. Um there's so much like partnership building that you can do in just like that one day of hacking between like top hackers and your program that like build like lifelong like sorts of relationships where those hackers now want to come hack on your program they have a face that they assign when they submit a report yeah and they have like a real you know there's a real tie it's there super valuable like, it, it it adds a lot um yes they're stressful yes they're expensive yes it's chaos but uh is it worth it yeah I, I i would certainly say so i think it depends on the company not every company can run a, a live hacking event um there are certainly tons of companies who should not run a live hacking event. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, like you don't have the scope for it. You don't have the bounty for it. Uh, you don't have the team for it. You don't have like, yeah. The, like I think 
I was, I was telling this to the hacker one team. I, I feel like, honestly, one of the requirements for running a live hacking event should be that one of your people, at least, has to come on site and just sit in the war room and watch what a live hacking event looks uh, like. Of somebody else's side. live hacking yeah. event. Uh, and, and just be like, oh, shit. Okay, this is what we got to do. This is going to yeah. rock my world. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel like they need some perspective because so many companies will come in and be like, we want to run a live hacking event. And I think, I mean, if I worked at a hacker one, my reaction would be, huh what you do yeah really are you sure are you sure <laughs> yeah like we'll take your money but are you sure that's a like, pretty inch yeah like like live hacking event training or yeah. something like that could be really like, a thing as so well. much like you want it to be a good experience for the researchers you mm -hmm. want it to be a good experience for the company you want it to be a good experience like overall you want like good bounty payouts you want everybody to walk away happy swag like all these things there's so many moving parts so many aspects that like there's a reason why you see a lot of the same companies running live hacking events over and over again because they have the money, they have the scope, they have the that's everything. Pretty, yeah, that the stars that really got to align for it to yeah. happen. Wow, dude. All right, Joel, that was a marathon of an episode. I think this is the longest episode we've ever done. Um, we definitely went down some rabbit holes. We definitely, <laughs> you know, went off on each other a little bit there. Um, <laughs> I, I I think overall you you did a great job answering all these questions and uh, I'm gonna go take a nap now. Uh, <laughs> but for the for those for those few of you that are still with us at the end of this episode, um, one you rock. Two, yeah. um, uh, check out the new website. Check out the newsletter that's there. Go ahead and and subscribe to those. And uh, also, we have a Kaido referral code, which we've mentioned on Twitter, but we haven't really, you know, um, made mega public in an episode before. Um, we'll probably announce it at the beginning of next week's episode as well. Um, but for those of you that are still with us, uh, you can go ahead and use that and get 10% uh, off of your Kaido subscription, um, which we would appreciate and you would also appreciate because that saves you money. Um, yeah. Do you know what that code is off the top of your head, or it is, uh, will it be? Oh yes, that's a good. That's a good point. I should. I should actually say what it is. It's CTBB Podcast. It's our handle on Twitter, um, Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast, um, and that will that will get you um, ten percent off on your Kaido subscription. Awesome. Um, that's Kaido Joel, C A I D O. Yes. Every time we mention it on the pod, everyone's like, "What's a Kaido? What's, what's a What's yes. a Kiedo? You know, like no." Um, <laughs> So, all right, Joel, you got anything before I fall asleep and go take a uh, nap from exhaustion? Because that, that is a I, lot I think of talking. That's it. I, I'm glad I've been chugging caffeine been, this whole time. You've been cause... chugging, man. Yeah, you were, you're like, I, you know, towards the end, you can kind of see me like, you know, lower the desk and then yeah, so slow, get, like, start like slumping. Like, <laughs> <your chair. laughs> well, it, it doesn't help either because I had like a two hour meeting this morning and oh, then, man. and then my, my buddy came over and we just chatted for a little while. So, like, two hours and, you know, like, I'm not really, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. So this sort yeah. of, you know, long form talking takes a toll on me, you know? And so I'm at like minimum energy right now, but we made it, we made it through the episode. So yeah, dude. Well, yeah. Thanks for, um, thanks for having this discussion. Yeah. I hope that I helped to answer some of the mysteries behind you did indeed. bounty and reports and what, what the hell is going on with my ticket and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, um, yeah, if we uh, if there's more questions that come after this, we can certainly do, For do sure. a follow up episode or something. All right, GG man, that's right. pod. That's pod.